0: So have you ever heard the, you've heard that expression, the exception, the exception that proves the rule.
1: I have heard that expression.
0: (laughs) Were were you aware that I don't know what that means? See, that's the thing. Okay, Uh, but I'm not done because all I was going to say was this week, I'm no, I'm I'm not going to interrupt you anymore. Mm. The exception that proves the rule is I usually come in here and hiccup and then you give me advice on how to get rid of it. I, I was having a sneezing fit today. Is that the exception? Be honest. Is that the exception that proves the rule? I don't think so.
1: I think that's just pollen. That's just Paulin Michael Paul yeah. okay yeah so on uh, on other podcasts you have a semi running bit gag thing where you where you do a flyby complaint about the expression the exception that p- proves the rule. It's one of those uh, things. I'll, I'll that-
0: discover in my own poor case about something that I'm making that something contradicts uh so this is half 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 jokes, half not. Uh, half jokes is i realize as i'm speaking of course cuz i hadn't thought about it till the moment the words are coming out and i go oh you know well, maybe that's the exception that proves the rule whatever that means cuz i actually don't know what that means but i cut
1: myself short now when you hear that what do you think well that's you 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 explained the bit well and you did it okay thank you but the question with many of these bits is like okay it's a bit but does Marilyn actually have complaints about that expression and it's not implausible that you would because you have complaints about a lot of things we've talked touched on this in past episodes you have complaints about a lot of things that people that? say that you think are i don't know i'm you're not talking gonna about, say not talking about the not, kind of
0: jargon that can be needle moving
1: yeah that there's that but even just like uh whatever C- calling like, people who make things creatives yeah the word utilize costly versus expensive yeah, all yeah, yeah. sort of Practice, uh, practice
0: versus rehearse. I did uh, on Dan today.
1: Yeah, speaking through an interpreter. Like, you know. Yeah. Any, anyway, so I feel like exception that prove the rule falls in that carrier, but the bit on the exception that proves the rules or whatever that means seems to be implying that that like, one of two possibilities. One, you don't understand that expression doesn't make sense to you. Two, you do understand it, but think it's dumb or like th- that it's not a good expression okay. because... The thing it's trying to express is doing what I a poor job. I
0: think it means if we allow jokes to leave the room just momentarily. Yes, please do. I'll tell you what I, what I, what I, it's the closest to my understanding what it means. And, I, you know, if I get it wrong, tell me. I'll be, you, I think you'll tell me. Oh, by the way, I think today I coined hypocritical. By the mm. way, mm-hmm. I just don't have anything to say. So no. you'll be hearing from my lawyers. <laughs> um, Uh, See, I feel like it it comes across, and I'm I'm not trying to do a straw man here, but I feel like it comes across in the context of there's this thing that is beyond maybe even a rule of thumb, but there's something out there that, like, let's see. Okay, okay. I think there's a million of of these. There's several of these that people have done and will always do about Apple, like where there's some saw about how Apple works, And, and insert saw here. So Apple in the Tim Cook era prefers to get get up to scale with certain parts and then reuse them, like, for a really long time. They tend to leave stuff in their lineup for a long time. This is, you know, Mac Mini remains a product in our lineup or whatever the quote is. There's also things like uh, Apple once prefers to own every part of the process and the stack, including it looks like maybe even stuff like finance, right? That's that's a second saw about Apple. That you know, Apple uh, anyway, if you follow, <clears throat> and I feel like if an example comes along in that instance, like somebody says, "Oh well, oh, maybe they're talking about this on um, upgrade, but like, oh, no, you know what it was it was on downstream. <laughs> oh, Jesus, all these names. where Julia and uh, Jason were're talking about, you know, Netflix might want to start releasing stuff in uh, theaters, not just for awards? eligibility, but to, like, build buzz for when it, you know, after 30 or 45 days goes on Netflix, right? So when you say something like that, oh, it makes sense. Netflix generally is a lone wolf, except when it works with someone else. Apple wants to own all the stock, except when it works with someone else. And I feel like, you tell me if this is fair, when when somebody says something like this, they go, oh, Apple normally prefers to own every part of the process, except in the case of XYZ, and, and that's the exception that proves the rule. The, the thing that's usually like beyond a general rule of thumb, there's something that's true over 80 or 90% of the time. And then when the converse happens, it seems to be saying, that phrase seems to be saying that that not only fits into the rubric of this rule of thumb, but somehow
1: proves it. Am I close? Mm, you're kind of using the word to define itself a little bit there. And I do think that... But how, I how do we- you define tautology? Yeah, I do. I do think we've actually had the discussion in the past, but that, it was so many years ago that we both forgot. So it's all fresh for us. So absolutely. If, if you are listening to this and, and have a photographic memory and you can recall us. Well, we should listen to the podcast. We're redoing it, but it's <laughs> fun to watch how we it's like those movies those uh, time loop movies where they do the same thing over and over again. and You get to see how it changes. Well, anyway. Yeah. On this run, here's what I'm going to say. Uh, I, again, I have, I have no particular expertise. I didn't even Google this. Uh, so maybe my interpretation of what this phrase means is wrong. We've already gone, we've <laughs> past episodes we went over, get while well, the getting's good and burning the candle second, at both Second ends. order effects,
0: that kind of yeah, thing. Both yeah, both of which
1: I didn't look up. Um, uh, anyway, so my understanding for my whole life of the exception that proves the rule is this. A thing happens that is uh, counter to some rule. And the reason it is notable, the reason you notice the thing happening is because... The rule is that X should happen, and when oh. Y happens, it's super duper notable. And it's like, okay, why did you even notice that that this happened? If, well, if it reason... wasn't a
0: black swan, we
1: wouldn't have to say that it's right. black and a swan. Yeah, like why why would why is this a notable event at all? It's the by you saying that it's notable, you are implicitly. Agreeing with the fact that there is a rule that this runs counter to because if there was not a rule when this thing happened It would just be another occurrence But because the rule is so dominant and that we both it's basically getting someone to agree We both agree that the rule is X and if they don't agree, it's well, they'll say well yeah, what about this? This is this is not uh, that rule and you say but the only reason you notice that the only reason it stands out at all in your mind is because you agree that the rule is X and that's why Mm-hmm. When there is an exception for it, the exception proves the rule because you noted it only because you also agree that the rule is X. And that's why you noted the exception. Right. Mm-hmm. So the exception that proves the rule is sort of a way to get someone to agree that there is a rule, even though there is an exception. You know, that anyway, that's that's my oh, understanding. That's, it's like, yeah, it's got an element of like a girdle incompleteness. To it, okay, sort of, or, or all sorts of stuff like the, you know, this is water stuff, or the things that you don't notice, or whatever. Right. That, that, that makes sense. That finding something notable implicitly notes your sort of uh, indicates your agreement that uh, that <laughs> it is notable because it varies from the thing that we all just accept and assume.
0: I think I have a version of that that you have heard me use many times in discussing acquaintances of mine, where I'm like, that person is either goofy and doesn't know it or they're goofy and they do know it and I don't know which would be better. Where it's like, when this person acts a certain way, you know, I'm not saying it's the same thing, but it's sort of that whole, like, my, as they say on political Twitter, my priors on this person is that they are very mercurial and I'm not really quite sure if they know how, are they trying to come off the way they're coming off? Are they trying to be inscrutable? And if they're not trying to be inscrutable, is that better... That they're accident- accidentally <laughs> inscrutable.
1: <laughs> kind of, right? That sounds like a little bit more like the cynics dilemma, which I don't even know if it's a phrase, but it's always what I have in my phrase of like, are, are they, is someone intentionally doing something like that or is it just the way they are and which one of those two things is worse because they both seem pretty bad. Because you know, you know who needs an advocate is the devil. Uh, the, the black swan was a good idea. It's like, why is that, you know, oh, look at that swan, look at that. And it's like, why are you pointing out that one swan? Well, because the rule is that swans are white and this one is not white. And so that's why everyone says, oh, look at that swan.
0: How do you... um? Do you ever use the phrase corner case? Sure. How, how do you... So you've got... So I, I think the more, the more the less extreme version of that is an edge case, right? So you've got your cases of like stuff that you come to expect. And
1: God, I've got to find this, John. Giant... I, I know what you're talking about. There was who well, just... someone who tweeted a, a costly versus expensive uh, type of explanation about edge case versus corner case. And I'm oh. not sure I buy it entirely. Here's my recollection of what they said. They said edge case is... Uh, when something hits an extreme, like if something goes from zero to one, uh, what happens in your system when it's one, what happens in your system when it's zero? Those are edge cases, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, corner case is when you have multiple parameters. Maybe you have parameter A goes from zero to one and parameter B goes from one to a hundred. And you have multiple parameters. Your combination lock is zero, 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 zero randomly. But just like multiple parameters that are each at their extremes. They might be at different extremes, but they are each at extremes. So a oh, corner boy. case is, is less likely or more you know extreme than an edge case. And I think that differentiation is total BS and doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I but,
0: get but what they're it, saying. But it's like it's, it, it could add, I'm trying to avoid more analogies to talk about the analogy, but but like a, 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 an edge an edge case is when something... <laughs> I was about to say I was about to say extremely unique when some mm-hmm. but like okay I think I think I I think I I think I get that uh, I don't know if I
1: agree with that that just sounds like something okay. someone might have made up
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. okay Um, d- can I ask you one more thing because like I need a ruling on this tell me where I read this or tell me if this is a thing I was reading something I want to say probably an paper. of course I don't know if I'll ever be able to find it god it's so hard to find anything Live streams um, say again Live streams, I need live streams, boy, have you seen that thing in Moom where you can do screenshots and it remembers where stuff is? I have not oh Moom has this thing where to like remember like what windows are visible and oh it's really neat that it's like a live stream but for your windows hmm. mm-hmm. um like i read I feel like I read something in the last couple months, probably, and I want to say that it was in talking about the hacker in in the more like actual geek sense rather than in the cracker sense like but like but the idea of like but especially a hacker or even just like the the sort of testing including penetration testing, but the kind of testing that you do the, the part of the hacker ethos is to discover ways to use something differently than it was intended, and of course that's deliberately vague because it means lots of things, but in particular. This oh God, I probably talked to you about this already. But the spec said, you know, or the requirements said this thing had to work this certain way, operate under these conditions, do these things, blah, blah, blah. All the kinds of things you'd have in a in a spec of design document. I don't know what you want to call it, but but and and the thing is, but if you do all of your testing, your QA, your QC based on like did it hew to that document, you're gonna miss a lot because you haven't accounted for the different ways that people will use it in a way you didn't intend. So, like a buffer overrun or that kind of thing, is has seems to me like the kind of thing did the first time anybody detected screwing with the memory to mess with somebody's uh, security, like it that was probably a result of somebody saying, "Well, hey, you're not supposed to use it that way." Is it what do you? What am I? What am I talking about here? Is it you've heard of this, right? this thing I'm talking about, the idea that what a, what a hacker does, whether they're a penetration tester or whether they're like figuring out how to use a and Crunch whistle to get free phone calls, that you're discovering a way to, you know, hacking in the more like 90s sense of like I'm in, I've cracked the encryption, but that there are things out there and it, that strikes me as being similar to what we're talking about with an uh, edge case or a corner case where there are conditions, albeit extremely rare and maybe not predictable but i can tell you that if if and when those conditions are created the following can and probably will happen that that's considered like a big part of the hacker ethos and people who don't like the idea of hacking as you know as in people just testing doorknobs even like the that they think you're in there trying to do all this crazy stuff and really you're just saying hey look i'm just using your system the way you built it i didn't i didn't do anything i didn't i didn't do there's no like there's a zero day it's not you know it's not your zero day i don't know do you know what i'm saying is this a thing hacker ethos hacker mentality have you heard this before yeah
1: i think here's uh, here's the way i would separate those things right so imagine i don't know anything about guitar amps so this could be all made up but you'll you'll get it well enough to get it um you got a guitar amp right um edge case uh take one of the dials and turn it up to maximum uh, right uh, mm-hmm. if the amp catches on fire when you turn one of the dials to its maximum value, uh, you know, that that was an edge case. And the fact that it caught on fire is bad because it's not like you did anything wrong. The dials go from all the way to the left to all the way to the right. And if I take just one of those dials and put it either all the way to the left or all the way to the right, nothing bad should happen, right? Or it shouldn't sound bad or whatever. That if something bad happened when I took one dial and turned it all the way to the left or all the way to the right, that is an edge case. And some people could say, with edge cases, well, no one's going to turn the dial all the way to the left or all the way to the right, so that's an edge case. So we do or don't care about it. And according to this definition that we both saw on the internet, corner case would be you take more than one dial and turn each one of the dials either all the way to the left or all the way to the right. So it's not just one dial that was cranked all the way to the left, all the way to the right, but it's multiple dials. And again, if something bad happens, it makes a terrible noise, it causes feedback, it catches on fire. Think like if you've got, got a if
0: you, if the gear on your um god what is it, your your starter. Right. Like if you're, if you're, if the, I I remember this happening on older cars where if you had an old, I want to say the starter, but, but like, we're like, if you move like with my bus, I could move it just a little bit and it would bring up like a better gear to, to, you know what I mean? Like there was no gear to grab on. Like it just happened in, in in an edge case. Well, it's not strictly true, but like in that instance, like there, there is something that can happen X number of Y times. And the way it goes from edge edge uh, to corner is that there's a, high, a much more, perhaps, highly unlikely combination of those things. Just because it's extremely rare doesn't make it any less of a big deal if it happens.
1: Well, I mean, that's the value judgment argument. And again, I don't probably by his argument that this is a distinction between edge and corner, but I'm just pr- prioritizing these as an explanation because now I wanted to jump to the hacking thing that you were talking about. Yes, please. The hacker mindset with our uh, you know hypothetical guitar amp here is to realize that when you turn the dial like all the way to the right whichever dial you're talking about that it, you know it stops when you've turned it as far as it can go right. the hacker mindset is realizing the only reason it stops is because the plastic knob hits a little plastic thing that's inside the knob assembly and that's what makes it stop and if you simply pull the knob off the metal bar that pokes out can be turned even farther because the only right. thing saying this is maximum this mm-hmm. is you know a value of 10 the plastic knob is just making that happen, whereas the actual amp as built has a thing that can actually turn farther. So you pull the plastic knob off, and you take a pair of pliers, and you turn the metal knob, and now it goes to 11. And then the thing either gets louder, sounds bad, catches fire, whatever. Right. The hacker mindset is to realize, okay, this is how we're supposed to use it. Oh, I'm supposed to turn these dials, and they go from here to here. Seems straightforward. But the hacker mindset is, yeah, but but how does this thing actually work? How is right. it actually built? Is the is you know, is the limit determined by this piece of plastic, or does this potentiometer not go any farther? Or most, like, most like, people would is, never even
0: think to try that. But if you're thinking more about how the inside of it works, you would be able to know that if you pop the plastic thing off and turn it, you get different results than somebody who stops. Yeah, at or at the
1: very least, you would pull on that knob to say, Hey, what's the deal with these knobs? I know mm-hmm. th- you know, the way you're supposed to use the system is like this, but the hacker mindset is, yeah, but that's not how it actually works, like, or maybe or they want to know how it actually works. How does it work? Is this knob right. connected to anything? Is this knob connected to something that sends digital signal? Is it turning a potentiometer? Like, how does this work? Why does it? Why does the knob only go this far? What do these numbers mean on the outside of it? That's the hacker mindset.
0: Yeah, you know where you see this a lot. Uh, unsurprisingly, is uh, in I don't want to say just lock picking, but also in, in just the general sort of like, you know, I mean, they, I think these guys really think of themselves as, hacker, as hackers. There's this yeah, one totally. So I sent you the one that went, he's slightly kind of slightly annoying, but I think still pretty interesting. And he's that guy that does the stuff like that. He figures out he he takes a hit off his vape and blows it through the doors, <laughs> and no, but then the motion detection mm-hmm. sees the smoke and opens the doors, mm-hmm. or like the you know the kinds of those doors, uh, emergency doors for getting out that you can, like, defeat with all these, if you're good at it, all these things. I mean, it, that feels very similar to me in spirit, which is, like, you know, this does what you wanted it to do. It does, you know, it probably it probably meets, you know, gosh, there's probably, you know, federal laws about how a door has to work, and it might meet those, but but you weren't, <laughs> you, you basically, you taunted the genie in the sense of, like, you, this works the way you expected it to, but just because it works the way expected, you expected it, expect it to, doesn't work in the way you imagine that it will.
1: Yeah, and and the the hacker mindset is there, you know, to not be constrained by the expectations of the thing or other people. Like you know, they, a, lot of, a lot of people just, when presented with some kind of thing, like they'll never question the idea that. Like, I oh, would open this door, or I would have to, you know... To get into have this vault, I'm going to have to deal with this lock. Yeah, I, I'd have to know the combination, or and, I'd have unless to... Unless you dug under the door. Or the sensor over there is not relevant to me because I'm on this side of the door, so I should just ignore it and okay. concentrate and try to pick this lock, when really if you blow vape smoke through the crack in the door, that will do it. And that's not what the, anyone ever intended, but you can say, well, there is a crack in the door, and the sensor does work like this, and I can blow smoke, and even though they never expected me to do this, let me try it.
0: And it's not your remit. I mean, I I hate to go shifting into that whole like management boo kind of stuff, but like it it seems like you would would have to be in a pretty progressive organization in any of these instances. You'd have to be in a pretty like confident, progressive organization to allow the sort of insight that would prevent those unintentional oversights from happening. Because really almost by definition, there are things that are happening outside the domain of, of how the problem has been posed you know? And, and we run into all to other, other security things. Like if in an ideal world, it shouldn't freak me out that I call somewhere for support and they read me my name and they read me my address and they read me, right? You know where I'm going with this. They're, they're, I'm thinking, dude, you're going to, you're trying to, you're going to Matt Hone in me here. Like in an ideal world, that shouldn't be a problem. In an ideal world, you're, you know, as you, as you say, your email address shouldn't need a password. Your account, you know, shouldn't need a password in an ideal world, but that's not how it is, and And the problem is that, like, I, you know, and I feel like a jerk. I feel like a jerk with, with like, CSAs where I'm like, hey, you know, um, I, I don't think you're supposed to, like, read me my home address or my social and ask me, is that right? Because can you imagine a situation where if I were not me and trying to pretend I'm me, could you imagine me saying, no, that's not right?
1: That's not, that's not safe. I had one recently. It was legit. Um, And they did the right thing, which is to ask, you know, to your point, to ask me, you know, whatever. It was a security question. And this this isn't what it was, but it was similar. It was like, what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? And I was like, oh, no. Like, because it's one of those things where I don't, you know, I didn't have, I mean, ice cream would be a good example. I don't really have a favorite flavor of ice cream, but I know (laughs) I entered this as a security question somewhere. And they're doing the right thing by asking me. And now I have to come up with, when faced with an ice cream flavor question, Many, many years ago, because it's always some ancient account that I've had for, like, decades, and it's like, God, it's like, in 1999... What did I enter as the, my favorite ice cream flavor? And, and you must be at war with yourself. Two parts of your mind. There's the one part of you that's
0: like, well, th- if I take this as a question that a normal person would ask me, my answer would be, well, I don't really have a favorite flavor of ice cream. Exactly, but that's but, but that's not one of the responses.
1: Yeah. You have to type something free text have to into say a, to into chocolate into or rocky road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just thinking, I wonder what these people must be thinking. Because they're being good. They're not like, it's not like they're giving me hints. They're just over there dead, stony silence waiting for me to confirm, you know. hmm the, the you know the 80 things they need to confirm about me. But but even like
0: I had to I had to log into something recently and this is this is my latest favorite flavor of uh boys this has been on the list for a long time security theater you know credit card stuff things like that mm-hmm. and it was like hey if you want to log in this will come up when we talk about subscriptions unfortunately um hey if you want to log in we got to send you a code do you want me to send it to you your email address, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which has most of what you would need to figure out. And then some dots will echo or Mm -hmm. this phone number that has most of what you'd need to definitely know whether or not it is X phone number out of what would that be? Right. A million phone numbers or whatever. Um, Or, you know, or another phone number. And it's like, uh, you just threw up so many partial bits of information. And that's how they got Matt Honan. It's like all those little pieces you know, the thing is, you do need triangulation to see to locate something on a flat plane. But even if you just know one radio tower that somebody is near, that's a lot more information than no information. All you really need now is a couple more that are nearby, and you've got to you put your puzzle together.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the worst thing about that type of security stuff is that we as customers don't actually have control over the security policies of various companies. So, to give two examples uh, one, security questions. We don't get to pick what those are. There in a pop-up menu, right? And, and the listener will be saying, of course you do. No, you get to pick the answer. You don't get to pick the question. Right. So we don't get to pick the questions. And then you could have some clever scheme like many people do. It's like, oh, we'll just ignore the questions and put Universal in the UUIDs. Universal monsters,
0: uh, parts of the nervous system. My, my favorite high school teacher was Wolfman.
1: Right. Or, or, or like make all of your answers UUIDs, right? But then to those people, I say, yeah, but when prompted on the phone, they say, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Are you going to be able to dig out in your record somewhere from the 90s the UUID right. that you entered for the thing, and it's just like, <laughs> did God. you ever? So, it feels like you're talking to Karnak Did you ever live at this address and have a dog? <laughs> right, and, and, <laughs> and so the thing we don't get to is like, ideally we say, don't use security questions. They're incredibly insecure. They ask things that you they could Google about you. I would prefer not to have security questions, but you don't get to make that choice, right? And the other one is SMS. Uh, it's easy to clone you SIMs. Can't, easy, it's so hard easiest to, to clone SIMs. It's so hard to turn that completely off. Right, I am, I've, I'm just short
0: of the special option they Google off me the special option but it was a little too much mm-hmm. but like i've got the 2fa and all that stuff i'm like anybody else but like it's so nuts to me that there still is even a like. why can't i just say i mean like whether that's github or google or whatever like
1: never allow codes to be sent by sms Yeah, or like like not have to give them your cell phone number ever right because that's if yes. They don't even have your cell phone number. They can't use it for two FA, and then you can't get your SIM. If clone. I don't give it to you, it's not yours to lose. Yeah. So, and and again, we don't have control over that. So, in the places where I can control it, I delete my cell phone number. I don't ever give it to them. I say, no, you will never send me a two factor code over SMS because that prevents me from, you know, someone intercepting that code by cloning my SIM or something like that, right? we'll mm-hmm. use a you know different better method but we don't have control over that so it's painful and i, I feel like the people who do these routines like the person i was talking to was good because i, I, was, I was talking to myself you know on the phone because was I'm this not involved if
0: you, if you can say was this involved with the qr code college thing
1: no it was whole totally okay. different thing because that was that was that sounded crazy making yeah i mean you did you hear the explanation of that on ATP? yes it was yeah, a it was just, was just a confusion with, yes. but it was it was nice that you know easy enough to resolve, right? That's that's the good, I was telling my son this was he was complaining of screwing up his account. You were setting
0: like, your, you were setting your, your sign up uh, at his school he's going to go to. You're setting up with his account stuff, setting up 2FA and it's it, at first, no matter what you did, it, you couldn't get the code in. It wouldn't work fast enough and it kept failing, failing, failing with no indication of why, right? Yeah, then and I just disabled 2 Five minutes two before factor. you started
1: recording. <laughs> yeah, and I disabled 2Factor and then I still couldn't get in because I had I disabled it but it was still asking me for 2Factor stuff and I was baffled and it turns out that the two-factor stuff I was, this is a classic web development problem, the two-factor stuff I was messing with had no relation to the login credentials. So it's kind of like when you're changing code on a ser- on a server, it's, that's not the one you're constantly reloading right. in your browser, and you can't understand why you're not seeing your changes.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I used to put it with CSS, I would put a, a pink or red stripe at the top, mm-hmm. someone I knew was on production versus staging, because like I would, I would do that all the time. Well, it's also like you see this on Reddit. Oh, God. Because, of course, Reddit is the new Wikipedia. It's where you land when you're trying to solve a problem and you get to see all this this really ugly culture about your posting wrong and everything. But, you know, there, there was one, there's so many things like this where, God, what was it? Was it Synology or was it my Mac? I had something recently, and the answer to the problem was, well, have configured this differently before you got locked out. Mm-hmm. And Which I think happens, you know, pretty
1: often. Just get a time machine. No
0: big deal. You know, I think think what it was, was it it was something involving 2FA and like there's a way if you can like SSH into your Synology. I had, I I mentioned this to Dan today. I had a crazy thing today where I cleaned my keyboard on my laptop and used one of those apps that, you know, helps you clean Mm, your keyboard by turning everything off. The only, the idea is, is just very quick, but uh, I think you'd appreciate this. The only, as far as I can understand the way it works, it throws up a curtain, if you like, a big black background. It says, when you're done cleaning your keyboard, Hit command Q, translated differently. I think it's using secure, or it's trying to use secure entry and saying, I will not register any key command that's not command Q, which on the face of it is cool, except it wasn't, I understand, this is a day after updating my OS, so that could, and this is like a four-year-old app. I could certainly see on a Silicon Mac, I could see Silicon Mac, I could see a lot of that stuff changing over time. I couldn't quit the app. When I restarted, it relaunched. It was, you know what I'm saying? Like all, <laughs> yeah, yeah. all the craziest stuff. And so long story short, I eventually got to where I did it in recovery mode and went into safe boot, deleted the app so that it would stop launching. But you know, that that kind of thing, like, and, and I got a pop-up at one point that was about secure input, but like I don't know. This, this, the whole, this whole world can be so overwhelming. And if somebody like you who's like a pretty pretty smart with this stuff is having that much trouble with the QR code, before and it like in your case, it's frustrating and you're late for ATP. In my case, especially Merlin 1.0, I will just keep throwing stuff at the wall and trying things, hoping that it jars something loose and fixes it. But talk about an XY problem. If I'm throwing spaghetti at the wall and that's not even the wall that I need to be throwing spaghetti at, you could, you could screw yourself up so bad delete this p-list, do this thing, move over here, log out, delete this, all that stuff. You know what I mean? That kind of, I, I don't think you do that, but boy, do I have ever, I do that sometimes. I get panicky. And then it's so frustrating to find out, no, you're John Syracusa and that thing's not hooked up to what you thought it was. It's so crazy making.
1: Yeah. Uh, long experience being a developer. Hopefully, and I'm not saying this is always true because I've met a lot of developers who don't have the skill. But it teaches you debugging skills, which is how not to dig yourself in further, how to stop for a second and think, okay, this two-factor thing. I'm doing, you know, like, if I hadn't run out of time, because again, I was doing this ten minutes before I had to podcast, which was stupid of me. But if I hadn't run out of time, I would have eventually figured it out. I got to hear it on
0: the the you know the, the quickie feed, so I got to hear the whole run up to it, and
1: it sounded so frustrating. It's yeah, I mean, crazy. it's frustrating because there was a timeline, I felt like I was almost just quite there, and of course because it's not my thing, it's my son's thing, but what I explained to him, he tried to use it to make this a teachable moment, is uh, what's the difference between this, what we're going through here, and why, you know, I was saying, like, here's why this is not a big deal, this is not that big of a deal, because your college that you're going to knows who you are, they have your name, you've, you've accepted, they accepted you, 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 uh, you said you were going to go there, you've enrolled, they know everything about you, like, they know where you live, they know what your name is, they know what your social security number is, you know, we give them money, like, they know who you are, So worst case scenario, you screw something up in your college. All you have to do is show up at some college building and show them your state issued ID or whatever, your passport or whatever. They could call you at your home number. You have a way to say, okay, right, right. Here's who I am. I lock myself out of my account. Here's how I can prove that I'm me. And you and they know that that account is for you because they made that account for you, for you, the specific student that is attending that university. So that is you're never going to get into a problem where you're just like, oh, I'm totally locked out and now I can't graduate college. That will never happen, right? It's, you know, <laughs> yeah. they know who you are versus, and I compared it to your Gmail account or whatever, oh, God, like don't whatever even email say it. you Don't use, even say it. Right? It terrifies me so freaking <laughs> much. If, you know, at any moment, that can either be taken from you by Google yeah. or hackers, or you could lose it. Or Word you, on the street you know,
0: is you can count on basically almost exactly zero help from Gmail like getting your account back. Right. Google. And,
1: you know, whether a hacker gets it or you legitimately forget your password and lose all your two-factor stuff or Google takes it away because for some reason they won't tell you because it's a secret. Um, and that was the linchpin to all your stuff. And you can't call up Google and say, no, no, it's me. Look, here's my ID. They'd be like, who are you? We have no idea who what human person is associated with what email Sir, account. We have a lot of email accounts here. <laughs> <laughs> like, there is no process by which you right. authenticate using like your state ID and uh, Google. You just if someone were regi- panicky, oh, yeah.
0: like you say, he could run into the registrar's office and throw everything, all spaghetti at all walls, and say, "Ask me anything," you know. Um, but no, you're, I I I see. But like, is there a third version of that that says, "Well, then what happens?" What I mean, but like, if if they again now, I guess we're back to edge cases. If they've come up with what they consider to be really good criteria for this, see also Matt Honan. That means that in some ways, you may be better off than somebody who's a stranger pretending to be you, but their situation may not be as difficult as it first seems, if you're thinking linearly um, about how that works.
1: Yeah, I was really just trying to get the fear into him of like, look, don't mess with, you know, two-factor backup codes, stuff like that. And the reason why it's a good idea to... You know, print out your backup codes and put them in a safety deposit box, or in his case, give them to your parents who are adults and responsible or whatever, mm-hmm. as your ultimate failsafe because there is no other failsafe. Whereas your college stuff, don't worry about it. Like that, you'll always be able to resolve that just because of who you are. He'll be lucky just, if college you know. still
0: exists by the time he's done. <laughs> yeah. They'll just, they'll just keep catching the checks either way, you know. <laughs> This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Sourcegraph. You can learn more about Sourcegraph right now by visiting about.sourcegraph.com. So you've hired yourself a brilliant developer. Well, that's great. Congratulations. But now you have got to get them onboarded. If your company is growing, onboarding new developers will be a common occurrence, but it's a big undertaking each time. One of the biggest challenges for new hires is to get up to speed with the project that their new team is working on. And that can be tricky if the code bases that your developers are working in are already large. Well, thankfully, Sourcegraph makes it easy to move fast even in those big code bases. Developers know that knowledge is most useful when it is findable. Show me the lie. It's totally true. Centralization is helpful, but given the fact that most companies store knowledge in at least two different locations, how do you make knowledge accessible to those who need it? As a code intelligence platform, Sourcegraph gives developers what they need to drive their own learning over time and in different situations. Teams without Sourcegraph need to rely on asking colleagues or reviewing out-of-date documentation, which is cumbersome and time-consuming. But with Sourcegraph, every developer can search across millions of repositories to find specific code, saving time for themselves and for everyone else. So when questions do come up, you know it's the big stuff that's worthy of the extra time. Sourcegraph was created to make developers' lives easier. And today, they work with leading companies across every industry, including three out of five of the top tech companies, plus places like uh, PayPal, Uber, Plaid, GE, Reddit, and Atlassian. Never know if I'm pronouncing that right. My apologies to Atlassian, if I'm saying that wrong. You know who you are. So right now, you go and you visit about.sourcegraph.com to learn more about.sourcegraph.com to find out why some of the biggest tech companies in the world use Sourcegraph and to see what it can do for yours. You can also just click the link over in our handy show notes, and that'll let them know that uh, you heard about us from us. You know, Sourcegraph, go check them out, you know.
1: Our thanks to Sourcegraph
0: for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of FM.
1: So that was all sorted out, but I've been doing so much online. Like you've been doing a lot with computers lately. Yeah, no, and and also calling people on phones, like talking to people who are asking me security questions because I'm doing all my, you know, life stuff things. Of, oh yeah, this is part of your your honey do list. Is like you're getting all squared
0: away. At anything like soup to nuts, insurance, John's new life. You got not. I mean, apart from household tasks, so me- medical so you're, stuff. You're getting, you're getting a lot of ducks know, in okay. a row. It sounds like.
1: Yeah. Then a lot of those things are, you know, either deleting old accounts, starting new ones, getting everything all set up, making sure things are secure. And a lot of that involves waiting, going through phone trees and you know, right. so many adventures in phone trees. I, and the, 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 Uh, the pleading portion, you're familiar with this, right? So uh, on your eighth trip through the phone tree, please don't hang up. Please don't hang up. Everybody
0: hangs up every time. And I have to start over every time it is very Kafka esque. It's a very contemporary version of what the trial or the castle feels like. Like, please don't make me say this story again. Oh, sorry. It'll be fine. I just need to put you on hold for it.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) My big one is they like to send me to the correct department. Oh, sure. uh, And, and every time I send me, To the ostensibly correct department, I end up at the root of the phone tree again, and I don't know how to get anywhere except for back to that same person, not the same person, obviously, because that would be impossible, but the same <laughs> Did department. Did you try prima Dose? Yeah, like, yeah, no, I, I yeah. <laughs> I mean, at a certain point I was, and then you start doing the things, like, I think I mentioned yeah. this on a past F word, like,
0: operator, operator, yeah, help, F,
1: Holding down the star key, hitting nine, hitting hitting zero, saying operator, human, curse words, right? They, they call it right? The,
0: uh, the contra code,
1: yeah. Yeah, the one I didn't know, the one that tripped me up for the longest time in a particular phone, phone tree, mm-hmm. was I just, I couldn't, I did all the things that you said. I did all the things to try to get to a human being, and I just could not. Get to one the word that I of all you know it wasn't a curse word that I didn't know or whatever the word that I wasn't saying that I should have been saying which I learned after the fact agent 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 not operator not human not person not help not that's the f what, word that's and, but th- they're not they're not trying not to conceal operator. that it's just not what we call it yeah an agent agent was the word that the voice thing uh, needed to get me to human but oh. yeah I had I had one loop where I was speaking of time loops where. I would go through the phone tree, and no matter what combination of buttons I press, I'd always end up back in a department who would tell me that they're wrong in the department. Let me forward you to the right one. And it would literally forward me to the top of the phone tree every time. <laughs> it's like Monty Python. You've reached the Department of Incorrect Departments. No, that's not me. <laughs> yeah. And I would and I would, and I I would, would do the pleading. I'd be like, a third time through, I'd be like, please don't forward me. Because every time you forward me, I just go to the top of the phone tree. And no matter what combination of things I type, I end up back in whatever your department it's, you is. You notice
0: up. it's Kafka meets chutes and ladders.
1: Yeah, did you see? Um, there's
0: a show I started watching, and it's it's an it's an agreeable but not particularly recommendable thing on Netflix called Operation Mincemeat. Do you know about this? I do not. It's a lot of shows on Netflix. This is a oh Jesus. Um, this is uh, based on a true story, a fascinating true story. Um, so in World War Two. Um, the, the, in pretty middle, early ish, 42, 43, something like that. Anyway, long, long story short, the allies, um, are going to be coming into Europe. This is, you know, a year or more before D-Day, but they're going to be coming into a, a city in Italy and they want to try and make the Nazis believe they're coming in through a city in Greece and they need to find a way basically for the Nazis to think they've discovered, um, like, you know, papers about this. You must have heard this story. And, like, there had been a relatively recent, at the time, incident of, like, a downed, uh, somebody who'd been on a plane getting captured and the secret papers, you know, going through. Long story short. So, um, Colin, uh, a Sensibility uh, a Kingsman guy, uh, him and Tom Womskans, uh are in this group, you know, put together. Oh, oh also by, uh, oh, the guy from the OA is in it, too. The guy from uh, Death of Stalin, that awesome actor who's... Uh,
1: uh um slytherin father guy you know who i'm talking about jason isaacs i know the slytherin father he was in the oa who did he play in the oa he's the dude the dude no, i don't want to spoil he's it, the but. well he's the dude with the house hmm. i i going to look that up well, okay. he didn't have white
0: hair yeah. anyway he's the guy who's like the connection between churchill and these guys and churchill is really attracted by an idea slight spoiler but the idea of a plan that is so asinine that even or especially like if it were suspected they they would go like there's no way this is real and so what they did was they had to find the idea was that we got to find the body of somebody from the uk to make it look like they were in an airline crash and they need to have this letter from one general to another general on them that the nazis discover and this this is so far the easy part. How will that get kicked up to the right person and then get kicked up to the next higher person? But how do we make that sure that gets that the guy who's a great spy finds it and the guy who's a terrible leader decides what to do about it? And but they also then they go into like we have to create a whole identity for this guy. They have to write love letters for him to have in there. And you know, it's it's a little triacly, but it's I I think it's I think it's crazy interesting. And then you know, this guy who's died, this basically this um Person with mental problems who was what we would today perhaps call an unhoused person. Um, his sister wants to know where's his body. And it's like, uh, he's serving the government right now. Um, and apparently this is based on a, on a true thing. And, but there's this, there's this great, I think this great sequence where they're all sitting around a big table talking about this. Oh, including with Ian Fleming. Back before he was the James Bond guy, he was in MI5. He was involved in this when he was uh, in MI5. And, and the, the Jason Isaacs guy is like, this is, this is you know, ridiculous. Nobody, anybody who discovers this this is going to be such a cockamamie scheme, you know? And and like I say, Churchill thinks that's the really appealing part of it. And there's this little, the reason I'm thought of it here, and I'm telling this very long anecdote is there's this back and forth between the MI5 guys about, because the Nazi or the the Germans are like fairly rigid, linear thinkers, they don't want to make the same mistake twice that you would have to be a, a fairly out of the box a thinker to think that anybody would go to all of this trouble of like writing fake love letters doing like dozens of drafts of the letter between the two generals till they eventually go to one of the generals and are, they're like could you please write this letter L- write it yourself like you're writing it to this other guy and it was perfect because it was exactly as boring as this general was and it totally sold it but I've, i'm so fascinated in that idea though like and this this kind of gets to a topic we'll we'll get to some point about like, you know, like our, your your pasta stuff, like when is it something i prefer versus something that's a life rule? Like you can make yourself crazy thinking you become like a conspiracy theorist. Oh, it's just so crazy. It's so insane that must be exactly what happened. And that's why we've got to like reclaim every voting machine and tear it apart to be able to you know audit and all this kind of stuff. You know what i mean though? Like it's you have to it's good to be an out of the box or non-linear thinker. Except when it's so nonlinear that it's almost not thinking. But if you want to be good at this stuff, the security stuff, the penetration stuff, hmm, you—it's beneficial to understand what is right in front of you that you don't realize
1: because you're being too linear. Don't you think? Yeah, I'm just looking up uh, the, the the title of this, by the way, to remind people. Because I always when I hear the, when I hear you recommend things on segments, I always end up having to rewind and say, "What was the title of this thing? Operation yeah. Mince Meat." Yeah, and I looked it up, uh, and there was in 2010 there was a documentary also yep. titled Operation Mincemeat. But this is not a documentary. This is a the British did a lot of this
0: stuff, especially in the run up to D Day, where they had to make it look like they were deployed. And you know about this, the inflatable tanks and all that mm-hmm. stuff. They had this this whole like it was really closer to the to the expertise of a the theater than it was to, you know, typical military. I mean, I don't mean to, that sounds condescending, but like, yeah, there's all this crazy stuff you had to come up with where this had to be just, it needs to be light enough that we can move these things around. But so you've got these crazy requirements that this tank needs to look real from this distance away. Like it doesn't need to be perfect, but it does need to look like a tank. And I don't know, I just, that that kind of stuff, I don't want to think about too much because it makes me feel a little bit crazy, but I don't know, it strikes me that that's a good kind of skill to have, And I I bet especially, final thing, if you are the sort of person perhaps like you who likes puzzles, who likes games and who likes, you know, strategy stuff, I mean, it's critical, right? I mean, to be like good at chess, chess or pool hustling, like you have to have a certain amount of like subterfuge and insight into how the other person is thinking in order to mount a good defense, let alone an effective offense
1: obviously there's a little bit of I don't know if it's the right term but selection effect or whatever when you're going to make a movie about something it's going to be the most interesting stuff right like the really cool operation where they did this thing with the dead body and not all the other much more boring things that happened during the war uh but I'm uh, on this uh, I I have never heard of this thing before until you described it to me but on this topic I'm kind of with the Germans and I would be like the amount of time and energy that the, the British people are putting into this scheme, it's like, wouldn't it just be better if you just like attacked and killed people and broke stuff in the traditional way? Like, like how much time- <laughs> Why you don't you just in? try acting, Dusty? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How much- How much effort is going into this? It's like it's either it's either the type of thing where like you don't have any other options, and so you're gonna put you know what you do have is a lot of time and a lot of creativity to spend all this time. Well, they didn't
0: didn't even have a lot of time. The way it's presented in the movie, and I have no way of vouching for any of the veracity of this. I just thought it was a fun thing to have on the background while I'm doing things on my Synology. But it, uh, but the the way it's presented is that um, I think Churchill in particular is like, hey, look, we've already solidified the date that we we have to do this thing with the allies that can't change not least because like it hurts our credibility, but also we, we, it's just too late to change the plan. So now the thing that can yield is what is the subterfuge we can come up with that is effective enough. But I, I I did like, I do like spy stuff. And I did like that idea of like, okay, so the guy who in, and this is going to happen, I think in Spain, like, okay, Spain is where we should do this. And no, we can't drop him out of a plane because he might be dismembered we keep the body like vert almost frozen up until this time we get it on a submarine the submarine goes and delivers the body they've like loaded him up with all of his documents like on the table the corner guy is there and they're carefully staging everything they've put an eyelash into the letter so they'll know if it's opened before it's returned to them, because almost certainly this will make it back to them to make it look like the Germans didn't get it, right? So there's all of that stuff. But then um, I just I don't know. I'm just very intrigued by that idea of um, I don't know. It's 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 such a fine line between stupid and clever. It's really sometimes hard to know like when you're doing a thing that's extremely clever and when you're doing a thing that really is bad crap, insane. But like stuff like this goes on all the time and and you know, one way that I think it's relevant to things like security, I I, I think I used this analogy, analogy before and I think you told me it was wrong, but if you've got five cardboard boxes, one and only one of which is believed will contain something valuable, like if you have four identical boxes and one box that says very secret stuff don't open that's going to tend to be the one that most people open. And now you're getting into, you talked about the cynics dilemma or like, you know, the Cretan paradox. Well, of course, that's exactly what they want you to believe is that that's where all the goodies are. But like, you know, what is a better indicator that there's valuables in a place than finding a a vault door? Like, you know what I mean? There is some benefit to taking some poopy underwear and putting your $100 bills in it because that's less likely to be discovered than somebody who's like literally looking for a vault. You've just told them exactly where your stuff is. I don't know. I think that's. I think that kind of slightly psyops-ish stuff is is kind of fascinating. Or you know, the old advice about like when you go traveling, put a twenty-dollar bill like on like in the the point after somebody's entered your house, they'll see a twenty or a hundred-dollar bill. A like you ever heard that one? Mm
1: -hmm. Because why? Because they'll they'll say, "Oh, easy money. Take that and leave, and not find you not find the jewels that are yeah, right, right, right. Or you know, or your
0: uh, your gold-plated ATP shirt or whatever." (sighs)
1: yeah no it's i still feel like i mean i get what you're saying like this is you know that you can this you really get wrapped around on this stuff and just be like oh i'm living my whole life like this and it's everything is an elaborate ploy and i both believe you become like gordon Liddy or something yeah yeah you both believe that it's happening to you and you employ it in your life so your house is a series of traps or whatever and it can really just kind of go down that rabbit hole and like the the reality and i i I do enjoy scenes like this in movies it's very common i think the most uh most famous one is the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark one, where the guy is there with the swords and everything, and he just shoots him, right? Yeah. The, the reality is that you make all these elaborate plans and everything for subterfuge and tricking people and putting the thing here and that. And then, like, you know, your house blows <laughs> everybody's, up. And get, everybody's got a plan until they get shot in the head. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, you know, this, you know, if someone comes in, they're going to see this and I to find my balls or whatever, then your house blows up because of a gas leak. Right. Oh, yeah. there was never was never a point where a burglar came in. In fact, my entire house blew up. Um, and so it doesn't really matter all the elaborate traps I had. Yeah, and and- it becomes
0: like one of those Darwin Awards things where it's like this guy got sick of, you know. <sighs> Just, I'm just going to make this up, but something along the lines of this guy got sick of the raccoons going through his trash, his old metal trash can. So he
1: ran a, like a car battery out to them and then went to check and see if he trapped any raccoons and electrocuted himself. I'm not even getting caught in your own traps, but just that like the thing you're thinking is going to this happens in computer games in D&D. If you're ever a DM and you make this, you know, this cool, uh, you know, thing that they're going to be attacking filled with all these different mysteries and the people just like either walk by it. And don't go in at all. Or they go in and do something totally different. Find one thing and leave. Or like they just, it's, you know, you can't really pick it. are trying and, to and, get to the tavern, you know, find out, find out what's happening. Yeah. In war, I'm sure there's lots of things where they spend a lot of time doing a thing and the enemy never even comes there. And it's like, well, that was kind of pointless and you don't, they don't make a movies about those.
0: It's like a real, uh, you know, Peter Brady birthday party or Peter B- Brady party type situation. And you're just sitting there with all your pop by yourself in your green suit.
1: Huh? All right. Oh, episodes of TV like that. I mean, they make them like that now, but it's, I guess it's, they don't have the background music that plays when Peter's, you know, the sad Brady Bunch background music. Right. Right. It's like a different tone. Oh, that's indelible. That,
0: that, there are two images, well, several images from my childhood that are just indelible to me. There's a reason that pops up, pops up a lot on Twitter for me. That is the canonical, like I'm here by myself and I, you know, this didn't go well. But the other one, do you remember one of the very earliest? This might have been when Fonzie was still, before he had the leather jacket. It might have been the first season of Happy Days. It might have been 1974, but where it's before he, before he lived with the Cunninghams. <laughs> but it's just, I watched this a few years ago, putting together toys for my kid for Christmas. And it's this Happy Days episode. There's a scene of him. He's living in, his gar- in the garage where he works and he, he eats up a can of soup on a hot plate while Christmas music is playing, and it's it made me so sad when I was a kid. funs he's eating soup by himself. Eh. Stay in school, kids. Whoa. Mm-hmm. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com diffs. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and for growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website. You can engage with your audience and you can sell anything, products, services, even the content you create, or as I like to put it, your stuff. You can do it all. Squarespace has got you covered. So much stuff that you can do. Now, this whole product thing, like personally, I've never wanted to be a store, but I I use a lot of stores and, and I have a lot of aloha and respect for stores. And it still blows my mind that Squarespace will let you just sell stuff on their on your website and it doesn't cost you extra. You know, that used to be a whole whole different big part of your business, it, it, having a store. And they'll do that for you, whether it's physical or digital products. Squarespace has the tools that you need to start selling online. Hey, go out on, go on and get it. You know? Oh, now what if you're like me and you're dingling and you don't know stuff about your business? Well, you're probably not a dingling. I mean, you know enough to not do podcasts for a living. But but Squarespace is going to help you use insights to grow your business, to transitively grow your business. So if you've ever wondered where your site visits and your sales are coming from and which channels are most effective, well, you can analyze all of that right inside of Squarespace. Once you've got that data, you can improve your website and build a marketing strategy based on your top keywords or most popular products and content. You know, they didn't tell me to say this, but it strikes me that once you're on board with these uh, these jackals over at Squarespace, it seems to me that you're going to basically have the equivalent of a team on your side. It's just that that team uh, is called a Squarespace. It's They can have that for free. What about blogging? Is that even still a thing? I sure hope so. Well, it should be because Squarespace has powerful blogging tools. Gonna let you share your stories, your photos, your videos, and your updates. Get the updates out there. Or put them on Squarespace. You'll be able to categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. Make the content work for you. Or as I call it, you know, your stuff. Uh, I love Squarespace. You know, I we kid a lot. We have fun here. Well, I, I have fun here. I don't think John has fun doing anything. But, you know, it's his problem, not mine. Uh, big fan of Squarespace. Been using them for I, I, over 10 years. I, I'd have to look it up. I, it's probably like... I don't know, some some weird calendar on cuneiform to like, I, I, but it's been a long time. And I can tell you how I know that because I know that I've been doing Roderick on the line with that stinky John Roderick since 2011. And I was using it for for freaking years before that. Well, how do I know? What's the trick? What's the mnemonic? The trick, as G Gordon Liddy says, is not minding. No, the trick is that we've been doing Roderick on the line since 2011 which tells me, uh, you know, we, we've also been on Squarespace with Roderick on the Line since two thousand. Get, get, get it, get it, get the stuff. I, I'm not even using a lot of the stuff they've gotten here, because I don't I don't know how to use it, and I don't really have a job. But you do, and you need Squarespace, right? Don't, don't blow your precious time on this planet going out there and, and trying to make a website if you've got better stuff to do, because that's what Squarespace does for you. They know you've got better stuff to do. Again, they can just have that. I'm just so angry at this point. I'm a little winded, if I'm being honest. Do me a favor? Go please now head out. You go to squarespace.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. You're going to get a free trial with no credit card required. When you're ready to launch, use our extremely special offer code diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. That's going to save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Once again, squarespace.com slash diffs. And when you decide to sign up, use that offer code diffs, like I said in the previous sentence, because that's going to get you 10% off your first purchase. And it shows your support for John Craig Syracuse, who, as we know, is is unemployed and unemployable. Um, He really, really needs the help. And Squarespace can help you. That's another one that they can just have. That's the last one, though, because frankly, I'm sick of it. I'm just angry at this point. But with that said, our, our thanks to Squarespace. For supporting Reconcilable Differences, and all of Relay FM. Oh, welcome back. This is Reconcilable Differences. Hey, you know what's nice? I'm gonna mention something quick. I'm gonna say thank you. I'm gonna say thank you to everybody. Um, I got we got a note from uh, our betters uh, at Relay, and it looks like uh, some new people joined. I'm um, possibly because John's unemployed now. Possibly because of the um, accidental emotional podcast. But whatever reason it was, I just wanted to say thanks to people. And I know, I know, John, you Now, John, what John's going to say, if I could say, is yeah, you just signed up to see and get the codes so and get your gold plated shirt at a discount. But if, whether or not you stay signed up, it, it pleased me very much to see that uh, people joined us. And I wanted to say thank you to our listeners.
1: There's no merch discount code for relay members, is there? Mm,
0: you get wallpapers. You do. You don't even have to return them. Oh, shoot. I shouldn't say that. Do you think you have to return the wallpapers?
1: no you keep them there it's there it's the what is it the
0: uh oh it's like no obligation are yours to keep
1: oh yeah
0: yeah yeah or like yeah yeah like a ginsu and you get an extra one just pay a separate fee kiss the pan i think you're probably right anyway don't steal our wallpapers jackals uh oh boy i i i only kind of know what this is but bring it are we okay on time holy jeez is it really almost an hour
1: well we had a long pre-show oh okay it's a secret uh, do do you have a do you have a, an opening statement for this? No, I want to hear your want to hear your introduces. Your topic, okay. This
0: is one that's been in the document for a long time, and uh, just a short version is um, properness, like doing things properly. Um, I forget, as usual, I forget why I put it in here with
1: you for you. Except prob- that- you probably put it in there after the pasta cooking episode maybe or I don't like think the, so. the, I don't, the things I don't, that things I, italians well, complain about that americans think are okay that thing remember that it's somebody yeah, yeah no no so i think this is way before that uh, oh or i could be wrong doesn't
0: matter doesn't matter but the, here's the point the reason i think this is okay so what first of all what do i mean well there's a way to do there are certain kinds of things in life that like you can do any way you want you know do what as 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 uh shakji says you know do what you like you know do the humpty hump and then there's things in life that at least in my learned Midwestern opinion, there's the proper way in every every other way. And there aren't that many things where there's only one way to do it, and that's the art. The art in life is that there's all kinds of stuff where it seems like it doesn't matter how you do it. Merlin, what are you talking about? What kinds of things? Any kind of thing. That could be changing attire. It could be proposing marriage. It could be cooking pasta. But like, I think part of the Spoiler, the, the mystery of life is trying to figure out what the things are in life where it matters to do it properly and what the benefits and risks are, you know, in evaluating how you do stuff. But I think the reason I brought it up, I know the reason I think it's interesting for you is I get that. That's how I feel. And I'm not always perfect at it, but I believe in that, and especially with regard to a kid, where it's like, you know, learning learning the right way to do something. What is the SOP? right? Here's a really simple example. Um, A proper way to leave a house is with a house key, right? It doesn't matter. Here's the thing. I know this sounds nuts, kid, but it doesn't matter whether you there will be somebody home or not. It doesn't matter how long you're going to be gone or not. It is proper anytime you exit that door, I would say even to to take the trash out, which they don't, um, it's proper to have a key with you. Um, and I have reasons that I could explain for that. But I I don't know, I bring it here because I do think it's interesting to think about where does it matter or not matter in life to do something properly? Are there things where it's canonically or there's only one way to do it? And also just to your point though, it seems to me that it matters to you. I keep coming back to that same old Bob Vila or more likely norm phrase about measure twice, cut once, to think something through, to think about again, you know, benefits and risks and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I think it becomes a kind of a practice. It's shading maybe the tiniest bit into Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance, but just as the, the, idea of quality, but the idea of like, I don't know, I, I would like to learn the proper way to conduct my e-bike so I don't die. I would like, you know what I mean? And so that shades into rules of thumb and best practices and rules and laws. But ultimately it's about the personal and sometimes professional journey to learning, the right way to do something and what that says about you that you care about that and try to do that is that can that actually be a sign of character that i don't know stuff i can't shake like dumb really inconsequential stuff i'm the only person left on the planet john because of how i was raised um if somebody walks up to a table like a dinner that i'm sitting at man or woman or non-binary or whatever like when somebody comes to the table i always and greet them i always stand you never shake somebody's hand while sitting down. You always rise to shake someone's hand. And when peop- I mean, and if, if it's not feasible, that's part of etiquette, knowing when it's not feasible. But the proper thing to do is when you're greeting somebody to make eye contact and stand. And to say, you know, to use an honorific. Like, I, is that wrong? Sure. But I, I was taught, and I believe in my heart still, that's the proper way. It's like calling people doctor. Nobody hates being called doctor. Some people insist on it. Just the proper way to greet somebody in that instance is to be a little bit courtly about it. And if they say, "Oh, just call me Doug, you can choose whether you want to call them Doug or Douglas or Dr. Douglasson, but you've you've done the proper thing when you meet them. And I do feel like that has something to do with character. And I do think it's fascinating the things about which we're or things where we differ one to another about whether properness matters at all in this in this crazy upside down world. And, and again, and just to be clear here, I am not talking about like just what white people want. I'm I'm talking about like the way that you, for example, like I say, the way you change a tire, the way that you like replace, that you install a Lutron Casita. Well, you better do that the proper way or you're going to be entering
1: a world of pain. John, properness. You shaded this a little bit into uh, politeness, which is another thing that I think we've touched on before. How to talk I wanna to re- people, re- yeah. <laughs> I want to re- rewind a little bit on the, uh, I'm going to say that. I refuse to believe uh, that uh, measure twice, cut once. It was a phrase that originated anywhere with this old house. That's probably, all I'm saying is if it came from this old house, it was probably Norman, not Bob. No, I'm he sure, takes it was, he I'm takes sure it's said on this old house hundreds of times, but that phrase has got to predate this old house by several hundred years. Probably, it's probably but they made it they Ancient Egyptian tablets have that written on it somewhere. Uh, and you know, and certainly the people on this old house didn't say the word measure the way you do. They, so. they would use cubits. You no, know, they wouldn't say measure. No, they they'd wash at it. All. Yeah, I understand. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah. All right. So for the for the properness, for like, so multiple angles. One of the things with like, you know, I was taught. When someone uh, comes to the table, you stand up. Blah blah blah. stuff like that. That type of you hear that a lot, especially from older people. Of like, here's the way things. Here's they will say, here's how I was taught. But the implication is, I was taught, and I wasn't taught this yesterday. I was taught this multiple decades ago when I was young. I'm it, not it young implies anymore. That this
0: been, is this is the old ways. And also like the traditional ways, but it, also the implication clearly is like, and if you don't do it that way, you're not doing it right.
1: And that, you know, and that, uh, that if people don't do it, they would benefit from doing it because here's the good mm-hmm. thing, the things that are good about it, because when we did it everything, anyway. yeah. Um, and what I always think about for stuff like that is, I don't remember the origin of this. Maybe you do, as I probably heard you say it on one of your podcasts, but like it was one of the famous... Uh, etiquette people. I don't remember. Miss Manners. like, there's a million famous etiquette people. Fam- by famous, I mean people who were in newspaper or in magazine comps when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I don't know who these people are, whether they're pseudonyms or whatever, but one of them, their their description, maybe it was Emily Post, I don't even know. Their description of the point of etiquette, the point of politeness, the point of having these rules, The you know, whatever, right. whatever the rule it, might is be. It, whether... Is it
0: there to make us look fancy or... Does it put other people at ease? Yeah, there you go. Everybody so, you, knows the correct way in the. And what do they say in the army? You salute everything that move. You either paint or salute anything. You know anything. Anything that moves, salute. Anything that doesn't move, paint. Um, and you're already making me see a liability in the way I put that. I did not mean to say that everybody must greet like that. I just meant that's the proper way for. Well, like,
1: no, but uh, what I'm saying is like the the way to the way to assess
0: manners. Manners something. are not there. I mean, a contra what happens on the Gilded Age. Which I really enjoy. Um, the, the the arrangement of all those forks and having them a certain way, and that these different glasses and how you use them. Well, yes, certainly that telegraphs something about status. Are you new money? Are you old money? But no, I th- I and I want to say it was either Amy Vanderbilt or um, or Emily Post. But yeah, the the point of etiquette is to have something like an SOP or an understanding of what we do. Like if you ever gonna like you see this in um that in that movie the the queen i want to say we're like before tony blair and his wife going to meet the queen it's like i know you've done this before but just to clarify you do this and you do that you walk in you never turn your back to the queen you take two steps back when you leave and like yeah well okay on the one hand yeah that is hegem- hegemony and you know the instantiating or like continuing a practice of class but if you were the person in that room you don't want, want to be the one with your dick in your hand you want to know the proper way. And you want to know, I mean, sort of like, uh, like, like uh, Blackbeard, like Ed on our flag means death. Like he feels like an idiot because he didn't know what to do with his anchovy fork cozy or whatever. It's embarrassing to not know. Some people use that for status, but the idea, the reason it exists is that we understand what our job is because we're herd animals. And ultimately we want to know what's expected of us and how we can achieve it.
1: Well, what I got from your uh, relayed definition of, of etiquette a few times you've talked about it uh, mm-hmm. as it relates to deciding whether you should or everyone should stand up when someone comes to the table or whatever is. If the purpose is to put other people at ease, mm-hmm. it relies on everyone having some baseline agreement about the way things are going to go because the ease comes from knowing mm-hmm. how things are going to go. People have unease when they meet the queen because they don't know how things are going to go because they don't do that frequently. And there's a and bunch the, the of state, rules the, the queen. And the stakes for getting that wrong feel high. And and there's a bunch of rules for meeting the queen, but you don't know those rules. Like, I don't meet the queen every day. Why would I even know these rules? So in that case, the the properness of how to meet the queen fails at the test of putting people at ease because this queen does not put people, you know, meeting the queen does not put people at ease because they don't know what to expect. Uh, Whereas if we were living in the '50s in a particular part of society, when someone leaves the table, a, you know, a woman leaves the table, we all get up when she leaves, or whatever. The, I don't actually know the rules, but whatever. I'm just whatever the rule is. If everybody knows that's the rule, then no one questions what should we do when someone gets up and leaves. Everybody knows the rule, and we were all at ease, and we all do it. And if suddenly we don't do it, we're not at ease. It's like shouldn't we have all stood up, or just one person stood up? Now I'm not like it requires it requires a pre uh, pre
0: existing understanding about like what those rules are.
1: Right, and as and time goes on, them. if it turns out that there's not widespread agreement about that anymore, then it's th- this this structure and tradition is failing in its function of putting people at ease because people aren't at ease. The people who are used to doing it aren't at ease because they see other people not doing it. The people who aren't doing it feel like, well, is there something I should be doing? They right. say I should be doing it, but it's not a thing that I kind of agree that we should do, and it's mm-hmm. it's all falling apart. And th- the second angle on this, in terms of politeness and properness, is, you know, the other thing I took away from the, the many times you've talked about this similar thing on other podcasts is like, say you are the host and someone comes to your house and, you know, whatever. They come to your house and uh, they don't know how they don't know. Sounds bad, but they don't know how to act in your house, whatever. Well, it may here's be, here's
0: they, one. They didn't know that you're supposed to be a little late. Like if they if they got there one minute early, they're actually really early. That's again an unstated rule. Most some people know, like unless you unless you were asked to be there before the arrival time, you should get there after the arrival time. You're not quote unquote late <laughs> in that right in that in that um milieu, you're actually you're fine. Like really anytime. If you're an hour later, as long as it's not like a dinner party that you're holding up.
1: Yeah, or like they don't know what to take their shoes off, or to not take them off. They don't know whether to take their hat off. They don't understand that they should put the drink on the coaster. Whatever, whatever it is that they, that there's mm-hmm. an understanding that you have, but they come into your house and they don't, they don't have that understanding. Uh, deploying, you know, the rules of etiquette as a host, what your job would be is to never make that person feel like they are doing anything wrong. That they have made a faux pas. Yes. That they have, they have, you know, like it doesn't mean you let them wear their shoes in their house if if they're not supposed to be like we we all take our shoes off in this house mm-hmm. being a good host and being polite is being able to communicate oh, we all, you know, you can just put your shoes right here. Like, however, I don't know how to do it because I'm not.
0: No, of- no, I I think you're you're, you're nailing it. Like the, finding a way, but like, it's also it's like letting you know what to do, but also making you comfortable. Something I, I learned, you know, probably alongside the whole, like, don't be on time for something is that if somebody does get, if somebody who the, is the first arrival, you have to, you should vet them and celebrate them and give them a prize. Like, that's a fun thing is you can get, oh my God, you're the first to arrive. You get a bottle of wine or something like that. But the other thing you do is you get my job like you say, hey, could you help me in the kitchen if you don't mind? Are you any good at cutting vegetables or blah, blah, blah? And it sounds nuts. Like you wouldn't do that to the, you know, the Dowager Queen or whatever. But like if somebody's there, especially like a, somebody who's there stag, like Solo, have them come in and they're in the kitchen now. They're in the heart of the house. Instead of sitting there sipping an iced tea while the TV plays in the background, you give them a job. And and now they're going to get to meet, they're going to be part of the like originating party Yes. Uh, okay. So putting people yeah, in. And,
1: and at no point should they end the night and say, oh, my God, I can't believe I showed up early. I feel so bad about that. because Absolutely. It's, obvious Absolutely. it's so yeah. obvious that they weren't ready for me and they felt mortified that I was there and I, I could feel like I was annoying Shoes them. Shoes all over the floor. Right. Yeah. And, the skill of a good host who is deploying all the rules of etiquette is not to be like, I'm the enforcer of etiquette and you have come too early and I will shame you is to make that person not even know that they act that they came too early and it was incredibly inconvenient for you. Right. But the same thing, if they didn't take off their shoes or whatever to just to make it seem like as far as they're concerned, it's like, you know, I just, I just went with the flow and everything was fine. Well,
0: like a, like a, it's a potluck and you brought, you, you brought a a flank steak to what I guess I should have made clearer is if not vegan, like a mostly vegetarian leaning thing, like you really do feel like a turn in the punch bowl. Like if cause, and now the whole time you're there, you're going to feel very like sort of scrutinized. Like you've already broken some serious rule.
1: Yeah, and, it, and it's very difficult to do, which is why being being polite and being a good host is a difficult thing to do. But that is the mindset, the the sort of light side mindset of etiquette and properness is to deploy it for good. Now on the flip side of that obviously the guests should also be deploying etiquette and endeavoring to understand the context and endeavoring to do the exact same thing for the host. But but what I'm saying is like, you can't, you know, you as the host, can't control what the guests do and you as the guests can't control what the host does. All you can control is what hmm. you do. And if you, if everyone involved employs the rules of etiquette to the best of their ability, everyone will get along better because they will all be... It's yeah, like, every, post- everybody there law. is doing more than 50% of the work. Yeah. I have to call, I have to make a huge T sign with
0: my hands right here just to clarify something. I will continue this discussion any way that you think is interesting or valuable. It's way too late for me to say this, but when I brought put this topic in here, etiquette was not top of mind. It was very much more... Oh, yeah,, I, know. I, know. I really did mean it more like the how to change it, just so we're being clear, I just don't want to unintentionally slide into Merlin thinks everybody should have his same cultural mores. No, 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 what I really mean is like you should learn how in this case, like let's let's use examples from our example that aren't that are what I mean. like what is the proper way to carve a turkey, for example like there's there's different ways to do that, but if you've ever watched somebody spatchcock a chicken or like, you know what I mean? To do something really amazing with like a kitchen technique, you go like, oh my God, how did you do that? Well, there's like a proper way to learn how to do that so that you do it, the food is beautiful and you don't hurt yourself. Just so we're clear, I will talk, I'll talk any way you want, but I did not mean it to be Everybody who doesn't follow the same cultural or uh, traditions mores as I do
1: is bad and improper. Just, It, just it, it is defense. connected. I'm, I'm going to get to that uh, okay. in a second. Right. Although I just wanted to connect the etiquette thing back like to a tech thing because that's always how I conceptualize things. Like the, yes. the, way, to, the way to think about uh, – the, the way I think about etiquette and politeness and stuff like that is kind of like – Postel's law, John Postel, um, uh, a famous, uh, law in technology. It's Postel's law for human interaction. And, uh, his law is for like when you're writing a program or something that communicates mm-hmm. to another program is be conservative in what you send and be liberal in what you accept. So the <laughs> yeah. idea is, you yeah. know, that
0: that's where that comes from. I didn't know that began with tech.
1: Oh yeah. No, it's totally I thought it was supposed to be a way to like get along with your neighbors and stuff. So it's like uh, if you're writing, to give an example, if you're writing a web server, there's an HTTP Mm -hmm. spec that says what you're supposed to send or whatever. So like if you send, if your server sends an HTTP response, it should be exactly compliant with the HTTP spec down to the letter. The HTTP spec says this, like I should be able to look at any of the responses from your server software and hold up the spec and say, does this agree with the spec? And it's got to be exactly right. You didn't change the case of anything. You didn't put in extra spaces. You didn't put things in weird orders. All the values are in range. Be conservative in what you send. You your server 100% complies with the spec. Be mm-hmm. liberal in what you accept means, and you can argue. There's lots of argument about whether Postel's law is a good idea or not. But this is the law. Right. I'm just explaining. But, it. but it's it's almost along the lines of I know what you meant. Yeah, conservative in what you expect is you get it. You get a request on your on your web server that you wrote. Oh, but they they're supposed to write like HTTP slash 1.0, but they wrote HTTP slash one zero, and they left off the point. Well, think think about your
0: HT access and how you handle triple dub. Like if you there was a time where you had to put the triple dub on because that was the you had to say what sort of that subdomain but you know what I mean like if it could confuse that confuse that with your mail server but you don't I mean if you've configured that right it should work fine either way and if you're somebody like Gruber gently encourage you to actually leave off the triple dub right isn't isn't that isn't that kind of well, similar
1: i like even even with the, if someone sends an HTTP request uh, request to your server and it's like it's invalid like it doesn't comply with the spec.
0: Right. Okay. okay. Like
1: they, they put something, you know, the specs has a bunch of things to say, but like, again, one of the lines of the specs is it has to say this thing here and it's spelled wrong or it's supposed to be uppercase, but it's lowercase or they forgot a value here or something like that. Be liberal in what you accept. If your server can look at that and be like, all right, so this is, you didn't send me a valid HTTP request. And I, I should, according to the spec, just send you a response that's, you know, 500 or something like that or whatever, or, you know, whatever the, the status code is for invalid requests. Right. But instead I I can look at your request and I know what you were getting at. And it's not really ambiguous. If a human looked at it, there'd be no confusion about what you were trying to do. And your failure to comply with this minor corner of the spec here doesn't change the meaning of what you're trying to do. So I will be liberal in what I accept. So my server will send to the letter compliant responses, but when it gets requests, It'll be, it's okay if you send a request, it's a little bit broken, as long as I can figure out what you were getting at and there's no ambiguity. That's Postel's Law. Postel's and Law, It okay. may not be a good idea for computer programs, depending on the context, you can have this debate or whatever, but in society, it's the idea that both the hosts and the guests are willing to... Uh, go with whatever the other people are doing and try to put them at ease even if they fail to comply with the supposedly agreed upon spec of societal interactions and so if everybody does that mm-hmm. everybody at the party has a good time and nobody feels like they did anything terrible right that's mm-hmm. the ideal outcome very difficult to do obviously because if someone is really non-compliant with the expectations of society it can really ruin everything for everybody and there's no amount of politeness that's gonna paper over someone pooping on the carpet or whatever but like it's yeah. Anyway, so to tie this into the properness, and I was thinking about this, like my, this, you may or may not agree with this or be surprised by but my, my interest in properness of doing things mostly, uh, focuses on the possibility that something that you've been doing can be done in a way that will make your life better. Um, and it's not so much, and you could call that properness, but like, very often, it's things that people do all the time. Um, a good... A, the best example I can think of is tying your shoe, right? Mm-hmm. And you can get into this big debate. What is the proper way to tie your shoe, right? That sounds like a perfect <laughs> we, thing. We will put a link to Ian's shoelace site, one of the all-time great old-school
0: sites. There are a lot of things you can do with shoelaces. But, like, when you're teaching a kid, you have to find that right mix between, like, bunny rabbits and trees and also, like, like understanding that you can make your... Like, I do saw on my bike. When I'm going on my bike, I make sure my laces are tied tightly even if the shoe is not on tightly like little tricks like that but
1: there's you know what i mean is that kind of what Mm -hmm. you're talking about like learn the learn the right way to do this and how to do a double knot and whatnot you can imagine somebody who is super into shoe dyeing to be like, there is a proper way to tie your shoes. And if you're not doing it the proper way, you should learn the proper way because the proper way is better. And yeah. have really strong opinions about it. As you mentioned, that shoelace site, if you have the URL, please add it. Because I, I know the yeah. site you're talking about, but I have no way. I think way it's just Ian's it. shoelace site right. or something like that. Uh, there, there, is, so, there is a lot of variation and everything like that. But like. People can look at that in their eyes, guys, if they are like, whatever, it's just shoe tying. I don't need to look at this website. I'm not actually interested. I think this is dumb. And mm-hmm. anybody who tries to tell me, oh, you should tie your shoes like X or like Y or like Z, I'm, I don't care. Like, I learned to tie my shoe when I was little, and I don't care about that at all. Right? And I use this as an example because I feel like it's a place where, you know, society failed me? Did I fail myself? Did my parents <laughs> fail me? Oh, no, John, what happened? Yeah. Um... <laughs> I didn't learn what I would consider a proper way to tie my shoes until I was into adulthood. I was making a very subtle error that had an impact on my life that I didn't know about and that no one told me about. And I feel like this is an example. This is the type of thing where I care about properness, both for myself and for other people. And the error I was making, I, I, the way I tie my shoes is the, the basic way. You do, you know, one so crossover You do, the other, you do you one overhand...
0: Right, so you start with one overhand,
1: and then and then you make a loop, and then you wrap the other thing around the loop, and you pull the thing through. Right, right, right. So here's where I was making the error, and I've I've tied my shoes like that since before I can remember. It's like I have no problem doing that. This is a safe space,
0: John. We know you're competent, at lots of things, and mm-hmm. invented follow up. You're good.
1: Yeah. So the the error I was making is like so when you do that that regular shoe tying thing, the first thing you do, you take the two you know strings and you make the little whatever the, the first little knot thing, right? You have a choice when you make that. You can put the the shoelace that's in your right hand on top of the one that's in your left hand when you make that crossover. Oh, like, is it like, is it in opposition? Are you basically making an elaborate square knot, right?
0: You don't want to do a square knot would be an over this way under that way. So you get that, the pleasing like locking thing. But in your case, you accidentally made it too loose because you did the same over on both
1: Yeah, I mean, basically, like I said, for the first move, you do have that choice. It doesn't matter which one you choose, but you end up, you have to choose one of them to make the thing, right? Whichever one you chose, the next move you make, the thing with the loops, you have to do that based on which direction you chose in the first move. And you do the opposite of it, right? And the way I always did it for whatever reason is I I think I would put the right one under Mm -hmm. for the first move. And then I would make the loop with my right hand for the second move, and that is like it is essentially doing a square knot the wrong way, where you don't square. What is the name for that knot? I forget what it is. Let make an overhand yeah, knot. The name or something. for that knot is your shoelaces are going to come untied more often. It's, right, it, and that's it, how. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. why it had an effect on my life. My shoelaces would come undone way more often than I thought they should you're, you're because, Morales. Yeah. because my habit and I always did it exactly the same way and it was exactly the wrong way and I, don't, <laughs> I think I, I, again it's hard to do with like emacs key bindings I can't do it unless I'm holding shoelaces but I'm pretty sure for my whole life I was doing right right lace under for first move loop in the right hand for second move and that is it, it, first of all you'd end up with your bow being twisted which I think Ian's site shows if you do it the wrong way you instead of your bow being like two ears on an elephant There'll mm-hmm. be like one loop going towards your toe and one loop going towards your heel. Like it'll twist. And second thing is, especially with old laces, modern laces are amazing. But when we were kids, we had those stupid, you know, linguine laces. Oh, like
0: I was going to say, the the introduction of anything but a round shape. I mean, I, when you get better, like hiking boots and stuff, you get those oval laces, which yeah, are you amazing. a ridge on it, or they're made of like modern materials. When we but were kids, like these, but... I'm wearing some Vans with laces right now, and they're essentially flat, but it's so much better then the shoelaces, the kiwi shoelaces you would pick up at Walgreens that would just, they would just go flying open. I mean, it was like about as useful as like the ties on like, you know,
1: moccasins. Yeah, and that's where doing, tying your shoelaces the proper way made a big difference. With crappy old shoelaces from the 70s that I had growing up, if you did it the wrong way, you did, if you didn't do the correct sequence of first move, second move, so that you make essentially a square knot, if you didn't do that right, if you did it the other way, they would come undone. And that was annoying. And sometimes I would trip on them. It's not like I was constantly, my shoelaces were coming untied, but it always bothered me that, like, this should be a solved problem. Why do my shoelaces ever come, become untied? And,
0: and did that evidence as your parents going, identifying the problem as, I mean, like, so you realized eventually that you had not learned to use our parlance. I, I learned it on the
1: internet. I probably learned it from that inside.
0: watching you. But, but also, like, the, that could that also be uh, apropos of our last conversation about parent stuff? Like, where they think, oh, you know, John's being careless, and lazy about keeping his
1: shoes tied. No, they, they probably they probably never took note of it because it's not like they were constantly coming in time. I mean, the way you deal with this, I'll just, I'll just tie my laces tighter, and that mostly solves the problem. But I like had I been doing it the proper way my whole life, that would have been a tiny life improvement project. And once you know the proper way, you're like, oh, I don't have to yank the things too hard. I don't have to double knot. The only reason I would ever double knot was because single knots would would be would get loose or come out right. But double knots was a way to solve them. Of course, double knots are a pain to undo, and I wasn't one of those monsters like my children that doesn't untie their shoes. Well, and you can also repeat; you can essentially repeat
0: that same error um, if you do too many of the over things. Um, uh, that's good, and and uh, and I think that is closer in spirit to what I what I meant or was talking about. But like the the way that this gets, the way that I go from seeming merely tightly wound. I think to some people to seeming like a lunatic is that I would argue that there is a proper way to do a lot of things. It's vital. This is you know, why I read manuals. Like <laughs> there's a re- there's, I mean, in manuals, it's so funny. Some of, some of the manuals you get now, the big part of what looks like a manual is actually just all legal stuff. And then you get a quick start guide with it. Mm-hmm. But like, I do believe in reading that if you're assembling something, you know, whatever it is, if you have to assemble a table, or what have you. It really is valuable. I mean, these are, I don't know if this is more best practices than proper, but to assemble anything, there's a lot of stuff that seems optional, which I don't think is optional. So, for example, you should notice, they're going to have a thing where they tell you, for example, this bag has four of this kind of screw. This little bag has four of that kind of screw. There's these bolts, there's these washers, and, and more often these days, I've gotten this with things like the 12 South shelf I got or whatever it is, or or you know what I got it with also is my vases. The vases come with a whole bunch of hardware you literally won't need. But do you know which ones you won't need? Do you follow? Like, if you're going to do, if you're going to fully, like, drill and, like, put this into your desk, you're going to need this set. If you just want to hang this off of something else, there's this set. But It really sounds so tightly wound. It's so valuable to look at that little diagram that's usually on the first-ish page, and it looks really boring because it just seems like it's an inventory of what they sent you. But let me give you a pretty vital example of why that matters. You may not realize until you just have a pile of stuff you've removed from the bags that there are two kinds of screws that look really similar. And, you know, it might technically fit into the any of these screws might technically kind of fit into any of these holes but the washer needs to go on at this point and boy did you notice that they said begin with this thing upside down because like you may not think any of that matters until you've created a really chaotic situation now you got a pile of hardware you don't know what is which you haven't kept those things separated and you got to keep them separated um, but if you, you didn't read that inventory if you didn't follow those instructions It's, it is a little, there's a reason they tell you on the SAT or any kind of testing, like read the directions, always read the directions because there will be somebody you encounter who gives you the directions of don't fill out any of these bubbles and I'll give you a perfect score. They want to know if you read the directions, but this is where, okay, so where I go from the practical benefit of this to seeming really nuts is that I think if you have learned the proper way to do something, you must always do it that way. Even if it seems like it doesn't matter. So in that case of the example of your keys, no, you just always take your keys. That doesn't matter. You have your keys. Why? I can just come back in. I'll leave the door unlocked. Okay, but what if something happened? And in a completely different but related SOP, what is our agreement in the household for the natural state of a given thing? Like when this goes back to the state, it's supposed to be, it will be like this. Well, some of you think the door should be unlocked. Some of you think it should be, you know, push button locked. And then a third person thinks it should be uh, locked with the uh, deadbolt that you can only use the key to do or undo. Well, that's going to really bite you at some point. You know what one answer to that is? Always have your key, and any of those will be fine. Okay, so like you know, but it doesn't matter. Like if I'm if I'm at home a alone, and the door is not you know lashed locked, it's not like in hotel mode. I will frequently I, I bring my keys anyway. Why? Because it's a habit. It's the, pro- the proper thing to do when you walk through that door is to have your keys on you, but you don't need them. I know I don't need them, and yet I do. Because if, and maybe this is again, maybe this is my demon dogs, but I'm taking this really stupid example. You'll uh, There's one person in this house that has never had a problem getting into the house. In the years that I have lived here, 20 some years, right? There's one person in this house that's never run into that problem. And I'm not going to name names, but it is the person who always has their keys with them. That is the proper thing to do. Um, okay, but then, so so, what if, what if it doesn't matter? What if these are impossibly low stakes? Well, you're still rehearsing life. You're still, you, you do the right thing whether or not you need to do the right thing because you do the right thing, you know? And I, I know I sound nuts when I say that, but when you get into something like, here's another one, if, if an assembly thing, you ever run into this whether it's a vase amount, whether it's a table, whatever it is, let's say just at a high level, you've got a, it could be a chair, but it's something that's got four legs. It's got, you know, various screws to work with that. In the case of a vase amount, it's usually four screws. Like you don't have to do what I do, but here's what I do. One thing I do is I take that screw and I put it in the hole a little bit. and I get a pretty good sense of like how well, how easily, or difficult it will be to get that in, because if I just go at that with a drill on full torque, I'm probably going to strip something. Right? You follow so far? Like, I first thing I do is I just test the screw in the hole and say, is this definitely the right screw in the right hole? Oh, good. Let's find all four of those and put those in an area right here. So now I'm focusing on doing this one thing. Now this is going to sound so dumb, but whether it's a vase, mount, or a chair or whatever, the thing that I learned that so far has served me well. Here's what you don't want to do is just put in the screw and screw it all the way in and go clockwise or counterclockwise or whatever. What I learned is you get it good enough. Let's say you're at the Northeast position. Let's, Let's imagine a diamond. You first screw you put in is on North. Now for me, the second screw I put in would be at South and I would do it finger tight. The next one I do could be East or West, but I'm alternating. And then when I tighten them, I also alternate. Can I prove that this has been a benefit in my life? I cannot prove it. And yet I have ample evidence that when I did it every other way, I was much more likely to have the thing be rickety or I'd have to start over because I didn't realize. Do you follow me? That is a kind of properness to my practice that I think is valuable in life. It's so stupid. Putting four screws into anything, there's a proper way to do it. And it involves organization, it involves best practices, and it involves quality, where it doesn't need to have quality, which makes it the best kind of quality. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Doppler. You can learn more about Doppler right now by visiting Doppler.com L diffs. I like to believe that the L stands for love. Let me tell you a story. In software development, secrets—secrets are private pieces of information that act as keys to unlock protected resources or sensitive information. You know what Webster's defines this right? So, so you can imagine the uh, stressful days of configuring, managing, and sharing secrets across different teams and clouds. Well, those days are over. Introducing Doppler, the first universal secrets platform. It enables developers to automate the pain away of managing secrets and ENV files, which are a type of hidden file used when working with secrets. Doppler is your team's central source of truth for secrets and app configuration across all environments and clouds. Whether your secrets are in Docker, AWS, Vercel, which I might be pronouncing correctly, or anywhere else, Doppler works where you work and as your stack evolves, aha, there's a twist. Doppler remains simple. Thank you Doppler. More than 11,000 customers across all company sizes from startups to enterprises use Doppler so they can keep their secrets and app configuration in sync across devices, environments and team members. So say goodbye to .env files. Goodbye .env files. Set up Doppler for your team in less than four minutes. That's hardly any minutes at all. Sign up. Uh, you just go to Doppler.com slash L slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. I'm going to say that again because it's all lowercase. Also, make a note of that. It says here that it's all lowercase. It's Doppler.com slash L slash diffs. If you do anything other than lowercase, we are not responsible for what happens. Uh, and I presumably neither is Doppler. But for now, we'll just keep it a secret. Yeah, dopplercom l disc. Go check it out. Get your secrets in order. None of this DMV jazz. Get out there, baby. Our thanks to Doppler for supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM.
1: The thing I would use to evaluate all those various things you put in there is kind of to, to be able to tell, like. Is this a demon dog thing, or is this a properness thing where it's actually important? And how do I distinguish between those cases? Because they can sure. feel very similar if you're in it, absolutely, um, especially from you know your personal perspective. Like, and I think part of the reason why it's sometimes difficult to convince people of whatever your POV is on a uh, on on a properness thing is. Uh, cost-benefit analysis, right? That's the. That's well, the and yards. just in, in my and own I think...
0: pseudo defense, the, the the yeah, I'll accept that that very much could be a demon dog, but that's a very positive demon dog. The the in the sense that, like, if I choose to instead just not worry about it, it's cool, man. Like, there are consequences to that. That's I, I just listened to. I love. Oh, you know, John, you introduced me to John Chiji. I just listened to. Uh, he mm-hmm. does this show called Causality, where he talks about engineering failures. It's kind of like imagine like Doctor Drang but also was super good storytelling. He told this really sad, sad story about this roller coaster, this indoor roller coaster crash. Um, And it's all because of stuff we're talking about here. And it all started as small beer, low stakes, cost cutting. We want to have four carriages instead of three. So there's more ride capacity. It hadn't been inspected properly. It had not been maintained properly. That ended up being the huge one. And even though there were three different sets of wheels to keep this thing on the track, There were conditions that it ran into, again, you get into, right, edge cases, that allowed the entire car to fall off a looping roller coaster and send three people to their death crashing into concrete. I mean, was that done properly? Sounds like maybe not. And I'll bet you at every point, you know, whether this is how easy it is to hack into somebody's account or how to put put a table together, everybody might have mostly done their job mostly, but it wasn't enough. Because we didn't have everybody doing it properly, and that was the consequence people died on a shopping mall roller coaster.
1: yeah you know, people are you know as that story you know demonstrates uh, and and as I think the uh the falling structure and in building things also demonstrates, people aren't always the the best at. Uh deploying cost benefit analysis to evaluate whether something is a demon dog thing that I don't have to care about versus a thing yeah where I we, could, care we could we could save properness. x dollars a year if we just check this every other week instead of twice a week, yeah, and so for like the the taking your key with you when you go out or whatever i would i I would your family's not on the show, but I imagine if they were one thing they might be able to say is look i understand I understand the theory, I understand the properness, I understand the rules." But cost-benefit analysis, I don't live in this house by myself. I live in this house with my family. Mm-hmm. And as previously stated, there's always one person who always has their key with them. Uh, and they are <laughs> either home them. or they I out. learned it from watching you dad. Right. No, but basically like this is, you know, uh, I know there is always a solution to this. So I don't actually have to worry about this because either dad is out with me and he has his key or dad is home in the house and he can let me in. And in practice, the, the, you know, the effort that I would have to put in to make sure I always have my key with me when I take out the garbage or don't, as the case may be, outweighs the benefit I would get from that because the benefit is so small because really I'm offloading this onto other people who do a better job in it, right? And yeah. that's – I'm not sure they're thinking of it at that level, really. They're just being kids, right? But whatever. No, or, no What know, they're just, thinking is, oh, dad. Right. All right. So, but, but still, like, at the very least – Probably the consequences are not three people are going to die, right? So, eh, you know, it's small potatoes either way, and you can kind of got it. But the place where I think this falls down is, uh, you know, and people do fail to deploy the cost benefit. And I've seen this in real life is the, uh, the building things. The thing you were just using as your example, like, you know, reading instructions to build stuff. And I think there are probably two major reasons why I see this happen. First one is uh, everyone's favorite toxic masculinity. If you've ever assembled something with another guy, mm-hmm. toxic masculinity. A nice side effect of toxic
0: masculinity is utter certainty, or utter certainty in your rectitude, and a, a very unwelcome, unwelcome, very ill feeling about anybody trying to help you to improve what you're working on.
1: Right. Or, I mean, I mean, really, just like at the base level, you know, you're doing this with somebody. Say you're doing this with, you know, like so like an in law or something, some other guy, and like. Basically, they feel that if, you know, you're both there with the IKEA furniture, right? And they feel like if I were to open this box of IKEA furniture and open the instruction manual, it would be a sign of weakness. And I would be showing my weakness to this other person, right? This person who's going to marry my sister or something. So Yeah, these these stick figures are just for simple people. Right. So, I, so even though if I was by myself, I would read the instructions, because I'm here with another man, I don't want to show weakness by reading the instructions. <laughs> Therefore, I'm going to pretend like... <laughs> You don't need to read the instructions. I don't even look at those. I'll just handle it. Yeah, myself you're talking about you're talking about Mr. Mom, right? Like I don't like, need to 220, look at 221 type stuff. Yeah, but, but like, but the the idea that like, okay, but if I wasn't here, would you read the instructions? It's like, oh yeah, if you weren't here, I'd be reading the instructions because I am actually a smart person. But because I'm so afraid of looking weak in front of you, I will pretend like I don't need the instructions because a manly man shouldn't need to read the instructions, right? And that. That manifests mm-hmm. in all sorts of other scenarios. is basically fear-based stupidity, right? <laughs> oh, man. And the other one is... Oh, boy. The other one is that even if I was here alone, even if I was not with you, and I'm not afraid of when no one sees me, I'm here alone in my house with my IKEA furniture, I just never read the instructions because the instructions are confusing or the instructions make me feel dumb or I don't feel like the instructions help or I had a bad mm-hmm. experience with instructions once and just never look at the instructions. And in both of those scenarios... The cost benefit analysis is terrible because people who behave like that, and I've met people like this, I know people like this, who never change their behavior, and even if they're by themselves, don't look at the instructions, they have terrible experiences building things. They get frustrated. Their Mm -hmm. thing breaks that they paid money for. They get angry. And if it's an, I mean, like, not not to rag on Ikea, but
0: I think their directions can be a little bit inscrutable. And there's plenty of places. Think about the way you put the pegs into the holes on a Billy bookshelf. Well, first of all, we're not talking about classic mid-century Eves, you know, design here. We're talking about easy-to-pack, flat pack, particle board furniture where like it's real easy it's to soft. strip a strip as it's yeah, but like, it's so soft. easy the, to
1: the wood is soft, the metal is soft,
0: <laughs> but you can strip a screw head really easily. Mm-hmm. You could, you could basically accidentally strip a hole of it. You, you can break an entire piece. Like this stuff is not, and if you, but if you also, you do it in the wrong, let's well, say the upside down thing, that sounds like not a big deal, but there's so many things where it's like, oh, I didn't realize that these shelves, ha- these shelves, like I put together this uh, steel, uh, like a restaurant, Kind of kitchen uh, table that I use for stuff Mm -hmm. here. It's really nice. But putting together was kind of a pain in the ass. You got to do it in the right order. It's only like five pieces. But like if you do it wrong, boy, it's rough. You have to put these two screws in to tighten to these things. You got to put them in the right order. The pinching opportunities, the pinching opportunities are manifest. And if you didn't notice, because again, this is also a little bit of a, you know, uh, it could be a language problem or it could just be like you didn't make it super clear that if you get this one seemingly very easy step wrong step number 3 let's say you're not going to realize you screwed it up till step 11 do you know what i mean you didn't realize that now you put that sh- you didn't pay attention you put the shelf in upside down and now you're not going to have a way it won't stay up by itself when you try and you're going to be really frustrated and guess what now you
1: have to disassemble IKEA furniture. And, and if you're lucky you can cuz some of these things have like a one way assembly step just oh, due to absolutely. the crappy the crappy nature of the materials well, that if and you wrap the like, back st- st- stuff involves like drywall screws
0: which yeah. I've had some experience lately with mounting these um louvered racks for my bin, bin system and like when you've got drywall screws and you know those little uh i forget what they're called but little plastic things that mm-hmm. you know the
1: anchors yeah. you
0: get the wing things or in this kind they're really they're really nice screw, screws and the little holders like expand inside the drywall when you're screwing it in but if you get it wrong good luck a like if you i like first one i did had the torque wrong on the drill had it way too high now I can't, without destroying part of the wall, I can't get the screw out of the plastic because it just spins freely now. Mm-hmm. And good luck then getting that actual plastic thing out of the wall. Because I was being cute and clever, and I thought I could do it all really fast. And, and I just just because we're very close to drifting into there's no stakes to bad IKEA furniture, there's nothing in the world that goes wrong that doesn't start with something as simple as this. There's a reason that deaths in hospitals and airlines went down when they made incredibly intelligent, learned people follow a goddamn checklist. Nobody likes, nobody feels great about that, but the reason, one of the reasons planes stop falling out of the sky and people stopped getting the wrong limb cut off, you know, you know what you do to make sure you, you cut off the wrong limb? Use a Sharpie. You write it with a Sharpie. You write on somebody's limb, cut this one off, don't cut that one off. Well, that's, that's crazy. Why, why would you need that? Well, they really want to have the right one be cut off, and, like, if you're too busy, if you can't be asked to go and, like, read the instructions for Ikea, are you really that much better than somebody that cuts off the wrong leg?
1: I, mean, I don't even think you have to go that far into consequences, because I'm not saying someone's going to die from misassembled furniture. What I'm just saying is my experience with people... it's a people,
0: It's a bad practice.
1: My, my experience with people who are non-instruction readers, even when they're alone, is that they... They have a worse time in life. Like, who wants to be angry and frustrated? Who wants to spend money on something and end up with a broken thing? Who the wants kind to of spend who money? People end up complaining
0: about all this stuff, like maybe like we do. But I'm thinking of a like another person that I host a podcast with who seems to be cursed in their relationship with stuff. And I think part of the reason that person feels cursed by many of the especially electronic digital items in their life is an incuriosity about learning to be a good operator, to have, as you say, empathy for the machine, to, like, learn what the machine wants you to do. And then you get mad because, like, you didn't read the instructions and you didn't we weren't curious enough to learn what can and, go and on
1: and that's the, and that's the cost that people aren't willing to pay because they're not doing a good cost benefit analysis the cost is okay maybe mm-hmm. i have to learn how IKEA key instructions work maybe i have to learn how to do a screw oh that seems like work i don't that why would i do that i'll just i'll just wing it i don't need to read the instructions i've never read the instructions before and everything behind been, been fine Yeah, my father hit me all the time i turned but, out fine. and and they're failing to make the lifelong cost benefit analysis which, this gets back to the properness thing as so i'm saying like Reading the instructions is the proper way to do something. Unless obviously you've built a thousand of these bookcases, then by all means ignore the instructions because you know what you're doing. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the case where you have no idea what you're doing and you refuse to read the instructions because you think, you know, again, because the instructions are confusing, you don't can't make sense of them. Like the cost is figure out how instructions work, figure out how screwdrivers work well enough that you can follow the instructions, because that mm-hmm. cost will have a bigger benefit. And if you don't do it, no, no one is ever gonna die. But a no one will want to build anything with you because you'd be a miserable person. <laughs> B, you're crappily everything <laughs> this you're happily, is This is why your stuff will be crappily built. And see, you'll be frustrated you'll be frustrated and angry. Eighty dollar bookcase
0: you're gonna live with for fifteen years and the the shelves still feel a little bit like they're off of skew.
1: Or one of them is, is going the wrong direction or like what like it's like Or it does
0: that thing like that all eighties make at home furniture does where it lists from side to side like it's in some kind mm-hmm. of a
1: windstorm. And, I mean, and even if you say, Well, I don't care about that or whatever, like the experience of doing something you should get frustrated and angry yeah right and so and so that and people and it just shows that people don't make the long-term cost-benefit analysis they make the short-term one which is well i don't want to pay the cost of learning of reading these stupid instructions of paging through them of learning how to follow instructions for this one stupid bookcase i'll just wing it it will be fine but then multiply it over their whole life kind of like the shoe tying thing like that was a case Mm -hmm. of ignorance where i didn't know i was doing it wrong but i
0: think everybody wonders if they wipe wrong I think at some point in adult life, perhaps at least a couple times a day, you wonder, did did I learn to wipe right? (laughs) You brought this up before. I think it's a big fear. I you swear haven't. to God. Well, I, like, I, I almost, didn't know that. I didn't, And I didn't, it wasn't until we owned a baby that I knew the thing about the direction you wipe parts. I had a, no idea.
1: As someone with your plumbing, it's probably not a thing that you needed to be into. a grown man.
0: I've seen tampons in toilets and, and, and I've, I've seen things with parts. I've seen things you wouldn't believe. I've seen tampons off the shoulder of Orion.
1: Right, but you didn't, but you, didn't you didn't need to know that for yourself right and so you didn't have occasion to know it yeah okay i'm I'm assuming it was something that your wife knew but uh yeah (laughs) but everybody wonders if they wipe wrong they're either wondering or lying i don't know i wonder about that
0: i i want to go home soon i just think that i think that you know i i I totally i feel like i totally understand why our straw man person and, and john can i just say you've seen the tv show the wire right i have okay you should really watch the wire do you remember I it might be the very first episode when um, McNulty is putting together the furniture um for his so his kids can come and visit him and have a bunk bed? Um McNulty is he's like he starts out like a little bit drunk. He goes to IKEA. I think it's IKEA. gets all this flat pack furniture and he's drinking a lot of beers while he's putting it together. And the entire, you keep mentioning in particular, this guy who's alone and doesn't read instructions. And all I see is McNulty getting drunker and drunker and madder and madder that he can't make children's furniture. And it's like, yeah, it's, you gotta keep your head on, man. You gotta keep your head on a swivel. Read those instructions. And maybe I don't just, drink
1: while you're. Maybe don't to drink do it. as
0: much. I, I I think that, but you know, there's. I okay. An example. An example in a general closing argument. The, an example is, for example, let's say you get a a flight or a I don't know. You get a group of things you need to set up, right? And I mean, even in like home configuration things, there are instances where you go, you got buy five of something and you need to get them all running right? So that could be something like, in my case, like those Eve room things. I don't really have that that many of those, but you know what I'm talking about. There's something where you need to install. For example, let's say you get some counter lights that are on a magnet and we put rechargeable batteries in there and like just, you know, whatever you have examples of this. You just bought five of something and you need to get it set up. There's something so satisfying about being me on a day like that because I love to think about what's the order of operations. From getting them upstairs to how the empty boxes get out of the house. If you got to deal with five of something, you better learn to think differently. Do you really want to have to go through this five times and discover you're not doing it right? Things matter. What about the IP addresses that are assigned? Had you thought that through? Have you, you know what, whatever it is that you're doing, if you've got to do, if you've got to be the IT person for your home or small office, and you've got to do two or more of something... It is so beneficial to think through how the pieces fit together. Slice open all the boxes first, all the boxes. Open them all. Start folding these things up. Put that there. Put this there. Make sure you keep the home kit code. Write down which one it's for. It will matter at some point, right? That's there's like just so many practical examples. I it feels I hate having to give a practical example because I think the benefit of caring about doing it the proper way is that you be, you develop character. And you become better at what you do, and the results of your work, whatever it is, will tend to be better because you're not risking. You're not. You're not. Don't see the slow acquisition of boring expertise as a threat to your masculinity. And my closing argument just is like, you know, you don't have to. We don't all have to care about the same things, but if there is something you care about, learn the proper way to do it, and always do it that way even or especially when it doesn't matter, because I can almost promise you someday it will matter. There might be a day where like you get, God forbid you get hit by a car and you're the only person with a key. Well, (laughs) what's going to happen then? I mean, not to make it so quite so dire, but you know what I mean? Like if we all, if we all know what the SOP for this is, we all know the mail goes here, the trash goes there. You always bring a key. That's the proper way you end up avoiding so many unnecessary own goals, so many unforced errors, if you like. And I I don't know. I just think it makes you better.
1: Uh, the only thing I'll add is the, uh, I feel like the the deployment of cost-benefit for the judging of things like this, uh, I think the thing to keep in mind when deciding, like you were just saying, like, when you're, you know So what?
0: your cost-benefit is, is it worth doing this in an according to Hoyle, maybe even slightly tightly aligned, Proper way is it worth it? Is there benefit to me doing this properly? And what is the versus the cost of having done it? Okay, and
1: for for deciding whether it's the case like like I'm saying, uh, following instructions when building stuff is where this is like advice I would give to everybody that like if you're not reading instructions, you're doing it wrong. The proper way to do it is to read the instructions because you will be miserable over the long term of your life. Tiny little bits of misery spread throughout in small ways and potentially big if you don't do this. Yeah, and, and you're gonna have to live with how unnecessary that was. It's so unnecessary that
0: you have a bad Billy book right.
1: case. Ver- and Versus something like how you and uh, how it sounds like you and certainly I do many things. You just described it of like laying the stuff out and getting an idea where things are, putting the four screws in the hole, cataloging the, uh, the home kit things. Like I certainly do t- practice like that when I'm doing the things that I care about. The But like the, the, the cost benefit analysis there, you have to realize which one of the costs and benefits are specific to you. So for me personally, uh, the cost is, you know, it's a demon dogs thing There, the, there is a cost benefit analysis that only applies to me because only I have these particular demon dogs.
0: Yeah. Even even if nothing goes wrong until it does that entire time that it hasn't yet gone wrong, I'm going to be wondering.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's many, like, you know, does it bother you when this happens? How much does it bother you? How much better does it make you feel to do this? But you can't generalize. unlike the following instructions, which is, I think, generalizable to everybody and doesn't rely on my particulars of like, how much does it bother you? Because, again, from my experience of with other people, I'm not the only one who gets frustrated when the thing doesn't go together. Everybody gets frustrated when the bed doesn't. McNulty gets frustrated when the bed doesn't come together. You offer that as a, oh, absolutely, McNulty. This
0: one's for your narrow Irish ass. But for you, that's an example of, yes, it's worth the cost because the benefit is having done it properly, like now you've got something whether from all the way from my demon dogs are at bay to like if, if a kid visiting, a rowdy kid, this is like in the world of risk assessment, this is like, modeling for a trespasser, which is such a fascinating idea we used to have to do in risk assessment. You've got a worker, a child, an extreme worker, and a trespasser. You have to model for a trespasser. If you're modeling for a trespasser and that's your, 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 your son's rowdy friend and he climbs on that furniture, <laughs> it's going to be a little bit like the HUD Sucker proxy where the guy put the extra stitches in that uh, end up saving Sid's life. Thank God for those
1: extra stitches. But
0: have, can you think of an example where... It wasn't worth the cost? Is there a... a well, I'm saying like if, if
1: someone doesn't have exactly the same demon dogs as you or I have, I it's impossible to recommend like, oh, when you do this, always lay out all the bags and label them and do the whatever's because I would feel like that the cost benefit analysis for that balances for me personally because of my particular demon dogs, but is not generalizable to the rest of people. That and- one does not rise to the level of you know, the, the nuts and bolts on a roller coaster. And, and it's not just because like, oh, this is a thing that I care about and they don't, people have different demon dogs and people don't know yes. who keeps saying that. It's like things that bother you or make you feel good out of proportion to how the average, yeah. and, what the average I think for the, society the, 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 is. To right? understand
0: a demon dog, you it's useful to understand that it feels like something external to you. Um, but really the source of the demon dogs is however you are as a person. But it is also important to see like so many things that drive us, a little wacky. Um you can't see the demon dogs, you can't hear the demon dogs, but you can feel the demon dogs. The demon dogs remind you what you could be or could have done better and what you should be worrying about essentially.
1: Right. And then that, like that's the that's the key skill about the properness thing is is this a thing that I do what percentage of me doing this is has to do with me specifically? This does shade into the pasta thing a little bit versus like what percentage of this is generally applicable and doesn't actually have anything to do with my particular demon dogs and right you know i would say again i would say the shoelace tying and following instructions when you you know looking at the instructions when you what about build wiping, something. John? do you ever think about wiping and whether you do it right yeah and and the wiping one i'm i don't know where we come down that one because maybe i've been doing it wrong too but i feel like that may be a demon dog thing with you but i i am open wow. to the idea that there is a shoelace tying equivalent to wiping that i have not yet discovered